If you didn't know it until now, you are the Common Sense Nation. And this is Radio Free Almond. Good morning, you bunch of drunks. You know, sometimes the Post Dispatch has, you know, their articles up online and everything else. And you, I hit on an article that you want to see, and either has a subscription to it, or it has like these questions you have to answer. You know, I just had to do that. Yeah. And I just BS the whole way through. I don't see how these things are. Sometimes when they ask you to put a word in or something, I just type a bunch of letters. Right. Right. And it's all redacted until you do it. You also see the white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. Sneaky. But I think I'm like most people. Most people don't really. Once you get the hang of it, you know all you have to do is just click. Whatever box you see just to get in there, it can't be possibly scientific with their the information you're gathering. I'm, I'm sure there aren't many people going, well, let's see, do I choose that, 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 or this, or that? No, you want to get into the article. You just, you'll BS your way right through, right to it. Well, I do. Yep, me too. Just did it. Just to read some stuff just now, I had to do that. And then with the subscription thing, I'm like, yeah, this story isn't that important. I'll look it up someplace else. You know, right. <laughs> Paying them for their dribble. <laughs> so apparently the dark money thing. Oh, by the way, good morning this morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, happy Thursday. The countdown to the warrior and the wild man. Radio Free Almond Throwdown Palooza right there at Discovery Design on Saturday. Book signing on Friday at the Missouri Athletic Club. The countdown continues. We're, I don't know how long it is. Tomorrow, Friday, we're going to have the book signing at the Missouri Athletic Club West with Doug Giles, Pussification, Rules for Radical Christians, and Raising Righteous and Rowdy Girls. All three books are going to be available to you for book signing 530 to 8. He's a PayPal guy, so I think you can do credit, cash, check, whatever, and we'll figure it out. 
for you. And also, by the way, the Missouri Athletic Club is not a formal setting. I think that I got a I got a message from somebody who thought maybe they had to wear like a jacket because it was that kind of place, you know, but it's not. Don't worry. This is Missouri Athletic Club West. It's a ghetto out there. Yeah. It's, you know. It's not like kidding. a downtown one where, you know, yeah. there's, yeah. No, we. I love the West. It's more, you know, because the kids go all out there. I'm a member there. And so all the, all the kids are out there. And it's, it's that kind of vibe, especially on a Friday night. It's fine. It's casual. They've got a nice uh, uh, other more formal bar there, but it's not formal in clothing-wise. It's just more of a different bar vibe. So anyway, it, it's a um, great place to hang out and great place to be. And so do not worry yourselves. You can wear your Radio Free Almond T-shirt if you want to to the event. It'd be great. And we'll have T-shirts and hats and all that kind of stuff available to you on Friday as well as Saturday. So that's the countdown to the event, and thank you to Rick Pogue for being in with us yesterday, having a great time uh, talking to him about, especially the, the, the hearing the, the small businesses and what, uh, how they benefited so greatly from the tax cuts and from the Trump economy and from the rollback of regulation, so it's great. So anyway, down in Jefferson City, apparently they're not as concerned about dark money as I guess they thought they were. Just a week or two ago, right? yeah. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I thought they was. I thought that's what this was all about was the dark money thing. Oh yeah, I, that's what I thought at least. The cover of the Post Dispatch would have led you to believe so, since it had the whole entire front page was a huge picture that just said dark money a couple weeks ago, and we thought that was going to be the big story. So why are you going after Garrick Wrightens? Uh, well, it's not the affair; it's the dark money. Oh, okay. Why, why, why are you guys so obsessed about? Going after Greitens, what, what is the, what's the deal here? This isn't a witch hunt, is it? No, 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 no. This is about dark money. If we, can, if we can deal with this dark money thing, we will have cleaned up government once and for all. Dark money, dark money, dark money, dark money. You sure it's not about just you just not liking him because he's rolling back the tax credit thing? Nope, dark money. Dark money. What about that uh, sex dungeon stuff? No, nope, we don't even care about that. Dark money, Jamie. That's what it's all about. Okay. So this isn't because he's a... No. It's all about the dark money. Once we crack the dark money code, we are therefore standing up for the state of Missouri and Missouri citizens. So the lawmakers investigating Governor Greitens just said yesterday about the subpoena trying to get the records showing who supposedly secretly contributed money to... uh, Eric writes, never mind. Just decided, with, no, we don't. The dark money thing. Yeah, I know. It was a, yeah, it was a concern at one time. It's not a concern anymore. We got to go home. It's summertime. The pool, my pool awaits. We got to go home. Now, again, I didn't think they should be messing with this crap anyway. I, the dark money thing wasn't exactly that big of a deal necessarily but nonetheless here i'm gonna i got you i'm sorry i realized that for you yeah um the the situation at hand they acted like this this keep in mind this was one of the reasons why governor greitens resigned you know that don't you was over the continuing investigations of him impeachment proceedings everything else but the attorney for a special house committee that had been deliberating on whether to recommends Greitens to be impeached withdrew a request Wednesday seeking records 
from the ex-governor's campaign committee and the dark money nonprofit called A New Missouri. The withdrawal notes that the panel may again seek the records, which is that, that's that. Let me know when monkeys fly out of my ass, will you please? Yeah. Because that's when they they might go back again to seek the records. Oh, we might go back again to seek the records someday. Yeah, sure you will. An issue is the wording of the committee's purpose, which is to investigate issues relating to Greitens. So now that Greitens isn't governor, it's unclear whether the committee has the power to subpoena any of these documents. And then it came a day before a hearing was scheduled to argue whether the record should be released. Now, again, I didn't think this was that big of a deal anyway. I didn't certainly didn't think it was enough to impeach Governor Greitens, and certainly didn't think it was enough for him to resign. But nonetheless, it seems odd to me that suddenly they are not concerned about dark money. That's what this was all about, dark money. And so why were you so concerned about it then and you're not concerned about it now? And Governor Greitens resigning shouldn't make a difference because wasn't this all about you wanting to clean up government and the dark money issue there and here and there and here? And it's very interesting how now suddenly they just don't really express much of an interest in this. There's a chance the court would have possibly ruled in favor of those who didn't want the records released. The good chances are that the governor resigned. We're trying to figure out why he resigned and why suddenly everything is now going away. Like, for instance, idiot over there in the circuit attorney's Tim. office dropped the, dropped the charges all of a sudden. Then he, now the, the committee investing dark money isn't concerned about anything anymore. And it just seems to me that even if you don't have a governor in office who's the object of your ire, why don't you still have your ire? Because we, we presume that your ire was based on you being concerned about me as a Missouri taxpayer and about righteousness and clean government and all that kind of stuff. And now suddenly there's no interest in it at all. Now, again, why did the governor resign? Well, a couple of things might have been at play here. One is the people who gave money to a new Missouri might have been going ape over the possibility of being exposed. Yep, they're going to dox because, yeah. they'll mm -hmm. Now, those individuals are likely not from Missouri. And, in fact, they're likely directly connected to the White House. And they might even be more directly connected to the White House in the formulation of the connection to the vice president because Eric Greitens was very tight with these guys and he got a lot of money from these individuals. There's a good chance that people in the Pence camp and others said, we just don't need this kind of aggra aggravation. We don't need the White House or the Trump administration tied at all to this mess that's been going on down there and to Governor Greitens. And so Governor Greitens, there's a possibility that he, as part of a deal to kind of get the heat off of them, and also to thank them for their support, but not wanting to expose them in a negative way, said, okay, then I'll just go. And and it saves my marriage, which might have been an indication too, 
because that was going on there. So there are a lot of reasons why he wanted to resign and just make this stuff go away. But that doesn't mean that the people who are investigating it should make it go Not away. Not at all. We deserve to know the truth still. Regardless, we need to know where the dark money came from. Because they, they were acting <laughs> as if this was the biggest damn thing since, you know, Watergate. And, and now suddenly they're not concerned about it. So this should give you every indication about the true intent of the people who were going after Governor Greitens that actually it didn't have really anything to do with good government or good campaign contributions. Or ethics. That or, kind of stuff. Right. It was all about getting him out of there. That was their goal. And now it's all done. Because, again, you all were told, even who dared support Governor Greitens, you all were told – yeah, but you know what? You should at least, if, even if you're supportive of Governor Greitens, you should be supportive of good government, mm-hmm. an ethical government. This was just plain wrong. Dark money, dark money. This convicted felon, check forger, Scott Fawn, every time you ask him, asked him about this, it was never about the affair. It, it was always about dark money. It was always about that. And now suddenly it's not – this is going to go away. These people aren't going to be back to to it again. It's kind of like, yeah, we might come back to that. It's like n- never in a million years. And that's where it sits. Yeah. Still face the possibility of other charges. That's what it says. So Not a chance. No. Not so- a chance. They ha- They have their scalp. And now they're wandering away, and they want Missourians who they were convinced who they convinced they were fighting on behalf of. Sorry to end the sentence of proposition, but I didn't. <laughs> they, you know, d- did that. They, 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 they're now just simply saying, "Don't stop bothering me. I've got other things to do." It's like, oh, um, okay. I thought you wanted me to be concerned about this. Nah, don't worry about it, idiot. We were after Governor Greitens because we didn't like him because he was after our our tax credits. Now, there's also the possibility that some of these lawmakers don't want to keep pushing the dark money issue because some of the donors in the dark money issue are saying, hey, we'll give you money. So keep an eye on the campaign coffers of the lawmakers tied to this committee. I know I will. And see what kind of money comes their way in the next six months or so. It could be a year, depending on whether they're up for re-election again or what have you. But keep an, keep an eye on these campaigns, because we will. And you'll, you, you'll see a pattern eventually that will come out. And that doesn't take an investigative reporter to figure it out. You just, you'll see a pattern of contributions coming from certain people who, A, you haven't seen before if you've been looking, and B, who are doing it kind of to the same people mm-hmm. or for the same people. So that's that's probably the likeliest of scenarios is that these lawmakers investigating this have been promised something from the people who possibly would have been exposed, and now it's their money. And they're more than happy to take the dark money donors' money out in the light. So we'll see how it all works that's out. That's an interesting... I, that's so... so cesspool like uh kind of politics i don't i guess i'm it's perfect I'm then. naive but yeah it's cesspool po- if it's cesspool politics it fits yeah in jefferson city <laughs> for a lot of these folks if it so you basically just broke the code there phil yeah 
if it smells like a swamp, it's perfectly fitting for the swamp. Or the, if it smells like a cesspool, it's yeah. perfectly fitting for the cesspool. But that's probably the likeliest of all scenarios is that these individuals on this committee, and some of them are in leadership positions, everything else, are more than happy to take whatever money is kind of left on the table, so to speak. And it's it's kind of like the it's kind of like the cop going back into the evidence room and doing the cocaine, you know. Yeah. Wow. These guys are going back into the evidence room and lopping off two grand here, four grand there, ten grand here, and they're 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 pouring through the dark money evidence locker and taking what they they can get. That's the likeliest of scenarios. I'm not trying to impugn the character of the committee because I don't know for a fact that's what they're doing, but just make sure you know that that's a strong possibility. So eight hours ago, this was released, that the, the, the subpoena was going to be dropped. Do you think that that means that um, our Capital One felon out there, uh, is he is he partying today? Is this good news for, for him? Uh, is that a good thing for him to, that means he's off the hook? Or are they going to continue to find out where the paper bags full of cash came from? Well, Paul Kirkman, when he was on with us uh, the other day, said that they're going to continue to look into that. that. There's no indication here that that's going to be part of the surrender. Okay. I, I, but, but believe me, this is the other thing. Paul is a good guy, but that doesn't mean the other people serving with him are. And these are people who go up onto Scott Fawn's show, the Missouri Times or This Week in Missouri Politics, and they go on the show and they... They need him, and and they might even get an award from the Missouri Times when they are dutiful pigeons for Scott Fawn and the rest of the gang. So that's how that that kind of thing works. So there you have it. There you are. Red Shandings dies too, man. You can't be serious. I know you're from Granite City, but you're you're from St. Louis, right? Technically, and you know who Red Shandings is, right? I'm going to say sports. Yeah, Cardinals. <laughs> All right. I'm just going to I'm just going to let you off the hook on that one. People were giving me trouble for like not letting you off the hook on that black girl dance thing. Oh, they, they, one, the one guy on Twitter like didn't get it. I thought I rethought it afterwards and I, I still stand by it. And he was like he was like that was awkward radio. I go, "How long did it take you to figure that out, dude?" <laughs> Some people on Twitter are such idiots. Yeah, I I, that was really awkward radio. You didn't even let him off the hook. Precisely. That's, it was entertaining to most people. I didn't mean an offense. I was being honest. Because I'm honest. Yeah, I know. All right. So I'll just... Okay. So I, I'll let this one drop. Okay. His, he, he was known as Mr. Cardinal, just in case you... You know. For a player, coach. Uh, when, I was a, when I was a kid, he was coach... Uh, man, I'm sorry, manager of the Cardinals, and then he was a coach. And so this this guy, 95 years old, though, man, nicest guy in the world. I was at an event a couple of years ago where Aiden was there, and it was Red, and it was Bob Gibson and Lou Brock all in one little party room there. And Gibson is kind of, he I, he's my my favorite Cardinal of all time. 
And yet he's probably the most cantankerous of them all, too. He was he was not a he's friendly, but he doesn't like the whole he doesn't like the autograph stuff and you know he doesn't really like to talk to people a lot. But you got his autograph. Did, yes. Yeah. On on Aiden's shirt. But he was even then kind of uh I was like trying because Aiden was a little shy, and so I was asking Gibby for the autograph on his behalf, and that and that apparently didn't make Gibby very happy. That I would, he goes, "Why doesn't he ask me?" I'm like, "Okay, okay I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Ask him, Aiden." <laughs> Bob Gibson, but man, what a stud he was! You know, Bob Gibson was so funny because he was his intensity, which I love about him, and I just. I, so I'm always a, um, I'm always more of an excellence guy than I am personality guy. So if you're really good at what you do and you don't really want to have small talk conversations with fans, that's okay with me. I agree. If you if you bypass a bunch of kids who want autographs, that's okay. You know, I, mean, I remember like like sometimes sometimes you just have stuff you got to do. I would never do that, but I don't know what's going on with these guys half the time. Who knows? You don't know what's happening with them. 95 years old. And he's he was still living in St. Louis? Town and country, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. One time, uh, so Bob Gibson and his intensity, legendary. And he, I'll never forget hearing Joe Morgan, who at the time was with the Cincinnati Reds. And when I was a kid, the Cardinals weren't really any good. So I was more like a... I was just a baseball fan in general. So one of my favorite teams was the Oakland A's because wow. the A's were like the white shoes and fancy 19, early 1970s stuff going on. And mm-hmm. they were great. Burt Campanaris and Joe Rudy and Reggie Jackson and all those guys uh, were like amazing. I don't know whether Reggie was really on the early so I, he, he He and the New York Yankees, they went back and forth. But anyway, so uh, uh, Vita Blue... But I was just a fan in general of baseball. And so uh, the A's were a team I loved. The Yankees were a team I loved. National League, loved the Pirates, Willie Stargell, Roberto Clemente, all those dudes. Um, And then you had Manny Sanguian. And you had on the Cincinnati Reds, like they were the the you-know-what back in the day, and the, mm-hmm. the big red machine. So you had Joe Morgan, and you had Dave Concepcion, and you had uh, Johnny Bench, Pete Rose. I mean, they were one hell of a team. Now I think they're in last place. That shouldn't matter, though, because Cardinals was, will still lose to them, apparently, since they made the Marlins look like the 23 Yankees yesterday. My goodness gracious. How, how are you losing to a last-place team at that level, like 12 to 2 or something, or 12 to 4. Lord, people. Anyway, so Gibson back in those days. So Joe Morgan was on the Cincinnati Reds. So I'm watching this baseball game one time, and Joe Morgan's on with some guy who's, you know, one of those baseball guys. He's about 400 pounds, and he's the, he's the play-by-play guy. And he's, you know, and then you have, like, Joe Morgan, who's the color guy. Color guy. I didn't say anything else. He said... He's the color guy, okay? It's awkward. Yeah, I said he's the color guy, not the colored guy. I said he's the color guy, so stop tweeting. That's your phone over there. Don't answer it. 
that's the phone coming up from your Skype. There you go. I'm sorry. I it's didn't okay. Know, I didn't know that was going to happen. I didn't either. Somebody's calling us. Yeah, they're just calling you out of the blue. It's probably the guy that's <clears throat> irritated with me for my comment yesterday. He's probably got our number. Ir- what irritated you? Uh, my you- comment about dancing with the black girl. No, no, I'm- he was. What, what he was saying, he didn't get the fun that was being had in the awkward moment. Oh, and so he was. He, he uh, clearly slow on the uptake. Right. Wrote like that was awkward. I'm going precisely, dude. Yeah. You know that, that's what I was trying to trying to say. I like, like, did you go to college to come to that conclusion, <laughs> or? So no, nonetheless. So J- Pete Rose or uh, 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 Joe Morgan's on with uh, this guy, and he's talking about, and they're talking about the legendary Bob Gibson and the the, the big fat, uh, you know, play by play guys going, you know. Uh, Joe, he, that intense, and it was some picture they were looking at. Was, that intensity was just uh, amazing. Just the way they, uh, the pitchers all like Bob Gibson. You know, he would stare right into that catcher's mitt, and he was he was right in there. His, his intensity was amazing. And Joe Morgan like said, um, he wasn't staring into the catcher's mitt, dude. He was staring at me. Bob Gibson hated batters. With a passion, they he batters like I'll never forget when we talked to uh, like other pitchers down the line. They consider the batter to be literally a threat to their livelihood. Yeah, and and, and Gibson was very competitive, and he would stare down batters and everything else, and get in their head a little bit. Mm-hmm. It, either get in their head or throw at their head. Okay. One of those two things were, 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 was going to happen. Or, or throw right below your chin, just right then and there. Mm. So he, Gibson was the man, dude. And anyway, it was so funny how this guy like didn't understand, like, having never batted in front of him. And, and he was like, yeah, oh, yeah, Bob Gibson. He was very intense looking into the catcher's glove. Joe Morgan's like, no. He was looking right down my throat. I couldn't even tell where he was. I knew he was looking at me. Didn't, couldn't tell where his eyes were, whether it was in between my eyes or, you yeah, know. And that matters. Where in my looking. midsection yeah. or <laughs> in my mouth. I couldn't. I knew he wasn't, like, making eye contact me as if to, like, just say hi. He was looking at something. But it wasn't the catcher's men. It was me. So, anyway, those three were together, and, and Red Cheney's was one of the nicest guys you're ever going to find anywhere in the land. Just, a, just an all-around good guy. So, we mourn the passing of Mr. Cardinal, Jamie, as they say. do you have Pete Rose rookie cards? Oh, uh, well, now that you mention it, yes, I do. He's going to get in the Hall of Fame. Did you just hear that? No. Oh. My, my, my friends that are into sports feel strongly that he better get in the going hall to of happen fame. now because of some things that have recently happened or some news about the all hall this of stuff but uh you know come heads and all that stuff um and the gambling they they something about gambling and they're gonna make it legal or something to i don't know something that he, whatever he i don't know much about it but my friends are excited because they love pete rose and i said i thought you said one day you had rookie cards and my friend was like what He's you realize pete cards? rose bet when he bet he bet for his team oh he didn't. He didn't bet against his team. He he okay. he bet for his team. Okay. So so that that was what the, the craziest part of all this thing, the Pete Rose condemnation was was the biggest railroad job 
in baseball. And again, it's not just because they have his rookie cards. It, 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 it's the biggest hose job I've seen in a long time, this whole Pete Rose deal. But yeah, I do have his, his rookie cards, yeah. Nice. Several of them, as a matter of fact. Yeah, I thought you said you had several. Yeah. And, and that was because I was a big fan of his when I was a kid, and, and Pete Rose was just So it's your great. cards that you bought. Oh, yeah. Your collection. Hell, yeah. I went down. I'd wake up. Get on eBay and pay way too much for them. You just bought them. Oh, as... no, no. I, I bought them as a kid. Wow. Oh, yeah. I have That's them amazing. as a kid. I have a pretty extensive baseball card collection because I used to go down, wake up before everybody else, and occasionally, every once in a while, I don't know why this was, but there'd be like a quarter or a, or a dime or just laying around on a counter or something. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I had the money from just doing little small chores and things like that. Uh, it was change. And I just, I'll take that. And I w- walked down to the little grocery store, the corner grocery store. And I can't remember, I can't remember ticket where they're, Packages of cards were like five cents or a dime or something. They didn't even have gum. Oh, them. they had gum. They in them. did have oh, gum already, yeah, buddy. And that flat, oh, that oh flat, yeah, flat, that flat, mm. awesome gum. Oh yeah, man, yeah, man. that gum. Mm-hmm. That was good. It was good gum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was delicious. Yeah, and then you get the, it had this powder on it. Oh yeah, and then that powder sometimes would get on the card and smelled great. Oh, I can. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. You know. Yeah, because I collected cards, but not sports cards. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and, and so I, I, I was all over the Pete Rose thing. So I was, I was really, I'm really happy to hear that there's a possibility he'll get into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, he's going to. My friends say yes. I have to say though, I did because the whole, the whole steroids thing. I just it doesn't bother me in the slightest. But and and then again, that's not because like a ba- back in the day, I when when Ethan was a little boy, and now he's 28. So. I bought, and he was born in 1990, and I went out one day and bought the entire rookie card set, like all the rookies from the 1986 season. So it was like a box of rookie cards, brand new rookie cards. And so the 86 class, every single one of them that was of any repute, at that time, has now basically been disgraced from baseball. So the rookie card class I had was Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds, uh, the uh, the pitcher from uh, I can't um, I can't remember the other guys. The, the the one of the pitchers who was uh, with Detroit or was he with New York? Uh, oh, Roger Clemens. So they were all. So I, three, I, I think there, there, there are two more, I can't remember mm-hmm. their names, who are all basically disgraced yeah. baseball players now over the steroids thing. And, of course, this was before, really, technically it was illegal. Right. And that's the whole thing about McGuire. I think McGuire ought to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, because I've always maintained that you still have to hit the ball. Hitting a ball is, uh, hitting a baseball at 95 miles an hour is almost impossible. Hitting it out of the park is three, four times yeah. more impossible. And so the fact that you do, the fact, like, for instance, you could hit three out of ten baseballs your entire life and wind up in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> three out of ten. You couldn't get three out of ten on a math test. 
You no. couldn't get three out of ten on good radio shows for ten days mm-hmm. you, you, without failing. But baseball is the one time where you hit three out of ten, you're a Hall of Famer. That's how hard it is to hit a baseball. So, and, and then if you hit four out of ten, then you're on your way. Right. I mean, then, then you're definitely a rock star. You'll never hit five out of ten ever consistently. You'll ever no, you'll never hit five out of ten. But uh, four out of ten probably is tops for you, and then uh, maybe three out of ten gets you there, or three and a half out of ten, whatever the average winds up being. So it's hard to hit a baseball. So there are a lot of guys out there who did steroids and didn't hit. I feel sorry for those guys. Yeah, they like did. they went. Uh, that's a fail. Look All how right. much muscle I have, but I can't hit worth a damn. Yep. Ball's still too fast. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, I had a neighbor in uh, one of my places I live in, New City. He was an ex-pitcher for when he was in college, and I didn't play ball and all stuff, so I've never really never had a guy I've never had a guy throw a ball at me really hard. <laughs> yeah. He's like, hey, let's go to the park, take our kids, you know, grab these mitts, and I'll throw some balls to you. I'm the catcher, you know, whatever. So um, he's throwing balls at me, and they're probably in the 60s, maybe 70s. Yeah. I, maybe, I don't doubt the 70s, but he's throwing it harder than I've ever caught. Or, right. You know, and it was terrifying. <laughs> I mean, I was scared because if I'd have, I, I was catching the ball for my life. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, because if I'd have missed it, I'd have been in big trouble. I'll never forget that. I'll never. <laughs> he was a pitcher, so he was tall. He was throwing kind of down to me, and he was just having fun, just, just easy, casual throws, but. My gosh, my 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 yeah. hand was bruised and take some guts to hang in uh, there and, and 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 hit. So those guys are all. So I, I that's why I maintain they all ought to be there. Sammy Sosa the same way, and, yeah. and that season that Mark McGuire broke the record, Roger Maris record was an amazing season. He did great. Things Were you there? First time. I, I was there. Absolutely. I was there too. It went into yeah. our box. The ball yeah. went into our box. Yeah. And one of my buddies sold it for three million bucks. Oh no, kidding! Yeah. Dude, it went into your box. It went into the box, the company box for the GS, uh, the Genomics yeah. Center down at Washington. Phil Ozerski, I don't know if you ever interviewed yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a buddy of mine. He 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 caught it. He worked in, in the lab with us. So, I mean, if I'd have been in the box at the time, I was in. A, I had better seats down closer. Uh-huh. But I I wandered up there just to say hi to everybody, and then I left. Went back down, and then it went into our box, and it hit the back wall, and it bounced, and everything. And if I'd have been in there, there would have been blood. Did everywhere. he? Did he? Did he quit after he got the three million dollars? He's he's such a cool guy. Yeah, he's he still around. He everything? stayed there. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's a finner, he's he's a big time guy over there in the wow. genomics center. Wash. He's a real smart guy. He, he just invested it and played it smart and good for him. Man. Yeah, three mil off that ball. Yeah, that was uh, that was an exciting time, man. Yeah. That was and, and so for that alone, I think McGuire ought to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm not one of the and I, and I certainly didn't think that Congress should have been busying itself investigating steroids in baseball. Yep. I mean, I realize there's a certain level of oversight and all that kind of thing and antitrust issues, and I, I, I get it, but still, it just was just. Uh, you know, it just was unnecessary. All right, so got a lot to cover today. We have CNN. You ought to see this this mashup I have of all these stories about the disappearance of Melania Trump. These guys are, like, obsessed yep. with where is Melania Trump because they're trying to make up a scenario where she somehow is uh, is uh, hates Donald Trump and doesn't want to be part of it. So we got that going for you. We have this really weird story uh, regarding President Trump when he had a ceremony that was honoring the flag. It was a patriotic ceremony. It was, of course, also tied into the anniversary of D-Day. And, uh, but they likened it 
it was weird how they, they shoehorned the assassination of Bobby Kennedy, which is also took place on the 5th of June in 1968. And, and so 50 years ago. So you're, you're in the, the, the way these people operate in terms of how the flag and patriotism drives them crazy. And then they go into this whole, oh, it's nationalism. It's like, yeah, what's wrong with that again? I mean, just because the Nazis didn't handle nationalism well doesn't mean we can't. Stop making every time we honor the flag, we're suddenly Nazis. We haven't killed anybody in, in a Holocaust, all right? So get over yourself. Yeah, the Nazis, when they were nationalistic, you had to duck. Yeah, you But not with did. us, okay, please? So we're going to follow up on that. Also, are you familiar with 13 Reasons Why? Uh, it's a show. Yes. Now... I, for whatever reason, almost every other day this show comes up because I know a lot of people who watch it and who are into it. In fact, Aiden told me about it about a, two weeks ago when we were having a dinner conversation. I think he's, frankly, a little too young for that. I'm going to kind of open up the Facebook comments to this. But everybody, it seemingly everybody knows about 13 Reasons Why, which is kind of, it's, it's this teen suicide drama. Okay, I know and, what you're talking about and now. I, I'm, I'm really not, I've heard varying opinions about 13 Reasons Why. Some people believe actually it does glorify teen suicide, which is a problem. Uh, other people say it really doesn't and raises awareness about it and awareness of bullying and that kind of thing. So I'd like to maybe get some Facebook comments from people about how they, they, they think about that. Plus, we're going to talk to Jimmy Hoff in just a little bit, uh, the Gateway Pundit. I think Jim Talent may or may not join us a little later on to tell us about uh, some of the, um, the, the landscape as it relates to some uh, foreign affairs in North Korea, because that's coming up uh, in short order. So we're going to follow up on that as well. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen... Our national anthem. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early lights what so proudly we had at the twilight's last gleaming whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming
Good morning this morning, everybody. And, oh, yeah, you like that, do you? You love that, don't you? Okay, well, you know, uh, every once in a while, I'll come up with a gem for you from the old days out at U-City, right? Yes, right. All my U-City friends and beyond. Hello, everybody. Hey, by the way, did you see this? Remember, remember the... First off, I am 35 years old. I am divorced. And I live in a van down by the river. Apparently, there is a bike maker, uh, and, and, and now the family of, of Chris Farley is, is suing them against Trek Bicycle because they have named the fat, tired bikes, you know those fat tires, yeah. Farley. Hmm. And, and, they're, and they're using, the you know, he had the whole fat guy brand of comedy, as they say, mm-hmm. and so... In using the name Farley, this company, which is based in Wisconsin, in Madison, Wisconsin, is um, is misappropriating his name because they're actually calling it a Farley because it has fat tires. So, so it'd be different if it was just like, no, we called it a Farley because it rhymes with Harley. It's like mm. they they openly say that because the tires are fat, they are. Uh, because the tires are fat, it's a it's a Farley, and some Farley's family is going, no, nah, no, you don't. So this lawsuit uh, came out of California, and then a, and it was last year when this thing came out, and then a judge now says, uh, oh well, no, yeah, you're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna allow this to go through. Your lawsuit's good, so okay. So they're gonna they're gonna stop them from calling the fat tire. Well, they're gonna try to Farley. So they they these people, the Farley's family wants more than $10 million from this whole thing. Okay. Well, you know. If they've tied it to his name, calling, he'll get, they'll get it. Don't, don't, be calling, uh, don't be calling it, you know, a Farley after the fat guy. That's all I'm saying. So he's going to get that whole, they might uh, get rich off of this baby. All right, so some of the comments from people about the uh, 13 Reasons Why, uh, very interesting. Okay, so. Netflix now says they're going to do a third season of, of, of 13 Reasons Why. And, and it's, it's a, it's, I've heard some very good things about it, but when I was being told about it by my son Aiden, I was very uncomfortable. And when I'm told about it from other people by other, uh, and, and people are talking about it, I am very uncomfortable. Because I just don't, on its face, it doesn't seem like a good idea to dramatize teen suicide. And basically, there's a, there's a group of people, health professionals and organizations like the Parents Television Council and the American Family Association say that the show is actually harming teens. It's actually creating a scenario where there's almost this de facto okaying of, of teen suicide. And they announced this third uh, 13 reasons. And now it, what happened, they think it, it's tied into a dramatic increase in even searches about teen suicide mm-hmm. and, and like, like how to commit 
how to how to commit yep. suicide or that Virtual kind of thing. Reasons. And so, and whoops, now, wait, what am I doing here? Sorry, I got to get myself out of here. It, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Sorry. What happened? They think it, it's tied into. I did something here with my Facebook. I'm trying to get the comments here. But I did something with my Facebook page. Hang on, I got it. I got it. I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening to myself. Hey, John Tax. Thanks, man. He's listening from Fort Lauderdale at the Heritage Foundation's Research Resource Bank. Uh, but let me just get onto my uh, Facebook page here and get your comments. But some people are chiming in now about this thing and basically saying that this is definitely a problem, that this is glorifying, uh, glamorizing. Vicki Howard says it's glamorizing. Uh, Mama K, I'm a white person dancing. Thank you for chiming in, there, Mama K. <laughs> uh, but, but, but people are very concerned about how uh, this thing is going down now. Wait a minute, Jamie. Is this a fictionalized? Yeah. This documentary. No, is it's, this... it's 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 okay. it's it's a uh, fictionalized account. Okay. It's it, it but it but it's put in the formulation of a documentary. Okay, that's what I. Okay. So so what what it is is it's a person commits suicide and then going back and explaining all the reasons why and and it's focusing on certain characters that are, might be bullying them or doing this or doing yep. that and you know i'm i'm when my when 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 aiden told me about it and i think he was telling me about it as as a lot of kids do i think he was telling me about it because he was trying to gauge what my viewpoint of it was going to be yeah and I think he was telling me about it to see whether or not I had a visceral reaction to the whole idea of it being on TV. Did you? Uh, and, well, I, I having not seen it, and the way he explained it to me, I had some, I had some real problems with it. I, 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 honestly, I honestly did. I had some real problems with it. And I was... Uh, very concerned about it, and I didn't. I felt when he was explaining it to me that it was, it was glamorizing it. He wa- he's watched episodes of it. Yes. And what does he and think of the show? He doesn't think that it's glamorizing it. Okay. But he doesn't really know what that would mean necessarily. Okay. He doesn't know. He's just watching a show, and he's hearing about it from other kids. And he's just watching a show. He doesn't know whether it's glamorizing okay. something or not. He, he doesn't. Kids at that age don't really necessarily talk in those kinds of in that kind of no, language. They don't. They, they're, they're just watching it. Mm-hmm. So, so that makes it all the more uh, problematic sometimes because you don't really know what you're you're getting there mm-hmm. and and. There's there are two sides to this I think and I think some of the people I've talked to who uh, like this um, Marta says it's uncomfortable disturbing but it's what happens in schools adults need to see and acknowledge that these things happen in schools and so the 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 bottom line is is her leaving a cassette tape as Lisa has pointed out for each person of how they hurt her and. It and so she's addressing all these people who might not have really known what they did to her. Now, a couple of things I I have with this just on its face, because 
but I, I believe it legitimizes suicide to a certain degree because this person is attaching blame to someone else. And there are a lot of kids who are bullied. There are a lot of kids who are harassed. There are a lot of kids who are having problems who don't commit suicide. So this idea somehow that you can leave a cassette tape and say that Billy made me do it, to me, excuses suicide. Suicide is a very selfish, cruel act to the living. And it there's no reason to commit suicide, as far as I'm concerned. So just the mere fact that it's called 13 Reasons Why right. is a problem. The title is a problem. I was going to yeah. agree. The title is a because problem. Because suicide is not a an act that can be explained, and certainly it can't be an act that can be explained by blaming somebody else for it. Yeah. And, and that's where it gets to be a problem. So what I'm saying is, so to a young kid, and I do believe Aiden, I told him this, and we're going through this now, is too young for this show. So when you see somebody who is, uh, when you see somebody who is looking at, at this and seeing that there's a, it's legitimized by a television network, Netflix, and then this person saying, this person did this to me, so therefore I did this. So what happens in a school when someone does something similar to what someone does in 13 Reasons Why? Is there something in the mind of a young mind that will say, well, then that's that girl in that movie did it because he did that. So that's a reason why. Now, there's no evidence at all that teen suicides have increased as, a, as part of this whole thing. Uh, there's, there's no, I, that I can see they, they did do some Google analytics or whatever it was mm-hmm. and did say that there was an increase in how to commit suicide search, searches, search engine stuff. Right. But yeah. so, but I don't, I don't, I, I can't. Have you watched an episode of it? I'm going to watch it now. I want to see what this is. I'm I curious. have, I have not. Okay. I, I'm just curious what ages the, I know, I know Aiden's age, but I mean, what ages are the kids are the students that they're portraying? Are these like seniors in high school no they're, they're kids they're, they're 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 high school kids so they are yeah okay. but now i i'm concerned because i just i i i just don't i'm not comfortable with it period I, but i do know there are a lot of adults who watch it for some reason yeah. <laughs> well, and and who are fa- now adults might be watching it for tips or to be enlightened or whatever i don't know um, but yeah, that sounds like it's rationalizing suicide just in its premise. It's uh, giving you reasons on the flowchart as this connects to this, and you got bullied, and you were cut off and isolated, yeah. and you were you didn't get the girlfriend or whatever. And, and then here's why you you know this would explain why you commit suicide. And I think that's a horrible, horrible yeah. idea for a show. And if I was with the person who had pitched that show, I would have handily dissembled that premise because I think it's another form of intervention yeah. when it's not not needed. Well, I have two examples. Two people uh, are writing about this at the same time with different points of view on it. Like Lisa Hampton says, I, I agree with you. The movie is more trying to be an eye-opener of all the ways that kids could be cruel to other kids and about how it affects them. I don't know whether agreeing with me, because I'm, I'm uncomfortable with it, but Lisa says that that's what it does. Mike Sleater, on the other hand, hey, Mike, what's up, man? And thank you, Lisa, says, uh, 
Could it help a kid who is contemplating suicide open up about it? Sure. But is that worth the risk of giving a kid who wasn't thinking about it the idea? Exactly. And, and, and I think that's, a, that's my biggest concern yep. is that, you know, like my, my 13-year-old son isn't taught – well, he might be with some kids – but 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 generally, kids aren't talking about suicide amongst themselves. No, we weren't when we were thirteen. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're, uh, and I, now I don't know that for a fact because I don't spy on my kids. But when I talked to Aiden about it, he was he was intrigued enough because it was a subject that he really hadn't delved into. And so now you're exposing this whole issue to kids who otherwise wouldn't normally talk about it. Now, do they talk about bullying? Yes. Do they talk about harassment, breakups, ill treatment? Yes. But does is suicide tied into it? Generally, as a point of conversation, no. And so what ultimately happens is that they, they brought in they 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 brought they opened up the subject, yeah. whereas otherwise you wouldn't talk about it. Now I wouldn't talk about it with my thirteen year old, not to shelter him or to just because I don't want him to know about it. But generally, that's not a conversation because suicide is not a legit thing to do. There's yeah. no defense for it. No, it, 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 it mean like for instance, would we be okay with? And again, this is with the utmost of sympathy for people who have been affected by suicide and for people who have committed suicide and the pain that they've gone through, whatever. I'm not being unempathetic with, with that situation. But let me just ask you this. Would you be okay with a murderer from a cell block leaving behind a cassette tape on all the reasons why he strangled his wife. Right. That's... Uh, you know, uh, uh, or, or all the reasons why I shot that dude who looked at me the wrong way. But there were, but really there were 13 reasons why. Like, would you go, would you allow some hood rat who held up two people, robbed them, then shot them to death, would you be okay with that person releasing a cassette tape or a show about that person saying, now here are the 13 reasons why I robbed and shot that elderly couple. You wouldn't. And to me, even though I'm empathetic with suicidal people and with problems, suicide is not a legit thing. Suicide is not a defensible act. It is not. So in my opinion, now again, I'm being empathetic with people who have been through it and and who has you know has had problems with it, but it, unfortunately, it's it, it's not something I can say. Oh yeah, no, I know. It must have been so hard. No wonder they did that because I can't fathom I the idea. Nope. And so the very idea that you even provide reasons why on, on an act that is so harmful, cruel, selfish, and terrible. Is a problem, and I, I I don't see any difference between doing that and having thirteen reasons why I blew up the World Trade Center. I you know I, I just you know that's interesting, Jamie. That's interesting. I think um, it's part it's part of that whole thing where we're where we're making adults out of our children too too soon, and we're introducing 
issues and topics and themes at too early an age. And I've watched it with my kids. I mean, my kids at 10 or 11 years old knew things that I didn't learn about until I was probably out of high school as far yeah. as, you know, uh, social things and things that were going on. And uh, I, I was naive, I guess, but uh, I don't like... Um, I don't like this. That, I don't, now I don't like the concept of this show that you're discussing. Well, well let me like let me let me argue this from Marta's point of view. Let's put it this way: she's on Facebook here, and sa- and she says there's a lot going on in this series. The administration didn't address the issues that were prevalent in this situation. The 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 people weren't paying attention to what was going on, and there were just people who were not engaged, and so. Is there a possibility that the series, aside from making people uncomfortable, also exposes the many ways in which people miss cues or the many ways in which the administrations, like, for instance, at Parkland, those people miss things that happen? It's possible but but do you need a series that kind of romantic? Because keep in mind, the person who left the cassette tape is a kind of a heroic figure in Thirteen Reasons Why. Oh, okay. I mean, it's almost it's almost <laughs> the, the suicidal person. There's no judgment of this person. Right. They're not critiquing there's, there's, the person that's dead. There's only mm-hmm. judgment. And I, again, I haven't seen every episode. But what I've been able to see in terms of just reviewing the teasers and seeing some of the stuff on YouTube is that there's no judgment of the person who committed suicide. In fact, the person who committed suicide is judging others. And it does say that, by the way, Tammy points this out, uh, may not be suitable for children 17 and under. So that that's the TV MA rating. Okay. So... I I regret that I haven't paid attention to, and, and I I don't always monitor what Aiden is watching and and what he's doing. So that that's a failure on my part that I'm not always paying attention to that. Uh, but I have to tell you that Aiden, you know, nowadays the kids are not watching these things on a TV. No, they're walking around with them in their hands. They're, so. Yeah, they're, they're they're so so. You could have a kid like back in the day. You know, when we were watching TV as kids, the TV was on. Mom or dad were walking by the TV while you were watching it. That's right. Or they were in the kitchen. Like the mom is in the kitchen rightfully making dad a Manhattan because he's had a hard day at work. Yeah. And she's in her high heels in her dress. Yeah. Just the way it should be. Yeah. Yeah. Making a Manhattan for the dad. After the dog brought in the newspaper for him, <laughs> he's in his study <clears throat> with with the walls of mahogany and his skin bracer, put on a new little thing of skin bracer. He's waiting for his Manhattan. So mom in her high heels is making daddy a Manhattan, but she can hear the TV wafting through the kitchen as she's as she's squirting more juice onto the roast from that thing that has the right rubber thing on the top yeah, of it. The ba- baster. That's a baster. Yeah. So while she's basting the roast, while throwing the cherry into the mar- into the Manhattan and then delivering it to, to, to Daddy, she's hearing what's going on on the TV. Right. About, that was back in my day. 
and uh, she's hearing what's ongoing. So, so you're, there's an accountability factor there. Like, like, you know, like for instance, if Aiden were sitting in the living room watching 13 Reasons Why, yeah. I would have, I would have yeah. turned it off. Yeah. I would have turned off the TV right in front of him. But when they have their smartphones or they have their tablets or they're doing this or they're doing that, mm-hmm. uh, they're watching it, and, and sometimes they even have headphones on. So you don't I can, know what's I can happening. hear Gia Valente screaming somewhere in agreement with you about this issue. Uh, you probably didn't even have a friend that had a television in their bedroom uh, back in the day when you were. Uh, I mean, if you had a friend that had a TV in their bedroom, that was kind of the that, that yeah. guy was rocking. That guy it was a black and white crappy one with tin foil hanging off of it, but he was rocking. He could watch stuff, you know, in his bedroom. Um, that was about the most privacy you had watching television was if you were lucky enough to have a crappy little black and white TV on your dresser with you know dirty socks hanging off of it. and That's what I remember. Uh, how do I – hold on a second. I, I'm listening to you um, kind of. Wow. How do I – but how do – no, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to get by this damn – you know, I'm trying to get the um, – so I could see all the comments without hearing myself speak. So it's driving me crazy. I can't see all the comments. Oh, you're trying to scroll down and just trying to show you. I'm just trying to get the damn. I'm just trying to get, just to just to get to see all the comments that are going on in here, and I can't see them because I here see all. That's it. Yeah, it's still a pain in the butt. Uh, I know. I know. I know exactly what you're going through. It drives me nuts too. That's why when we ultimately when we get real here, um, no, I can't see all. See, I can't see all now. Um, Hang on. Drives me insane what you're doing, what you're trying to do right now. I, I go home and I and I watch and I try to wa- read what, and I just I still can't figure out. It gives you the real time comments as they're popping right, up, right? Right. But then if you want to go back and see what somebody said five minutes ago, it's just like this. You know, people are probably making fun of me right now because I'm an idiot on Facebook. But well, here's the deal: uh, the the what ultimately what's going to happen is when we get real here, we're going to have a monitor, okay, and we're going to be on Facebook. And we're going to have a monitor, and we are going to see all the Facebook posts on a monitor in front of us on a gigantic TV so that I don't have to look at my stupid computer. That is going to happen. And, and, and scroll down and blah, 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 blah. Oh, it's going to be, it's going to be like Christmas. And, and, and it's going to be on a big wall. I'm going to see all your comments in all their full glory. And your pictures on the part of them, everything else. That's why Mama's making me a Manhattan, and I'm telling you about thirteen reasons why. All right, so where were we? Okay, so that's the other problem. And and as you point out, Gia, who's been on with us, Valenti, who's been on with us. That's the thing. We're, so I can't monitor what's going on. Now I will tell you, and you all have, are probably one step ahead of me here. Because you, you understand what I'm, I'm talking about. The fact that Aiden brought this up to me voluntarily and in an unsolicited manner bothers me. And the reason why it bothers me <clears throat> is because he's clearly disturbed by what he saw. Conflicted, dad won't approve because dad's this way, and my friends think it's cool. I think he's, I think he's watching it or watched it. He knows 
either he shouldn't be or he saw the content that was disturbing to him and is trying to kind of throw it my way to see my reaction. And in fact, there might be, or there might be a situation where he saw it and some of his friends possibly said, oh, I can't watch that. My parents won't even let me go near that. And so he's checking with me to find out whether that's okay. Or he's seeing some of the same behaviors in school that he's seeing in 13 Reasons Why. So I was probing that a little bit with him, and he's kind of insisting, no, it's just that people were talking about it, and I checked it out. And, 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 they're, and they're watching it on YouTube or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. They're, they're watching it on YouTube or yeah. on Netflix. Like Netflix is now a streaming thing. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're watching it there, and, and they are seeing this, and we don't even know that they're, they're seeing it. I mean, I mean, again, I'll go back to the whole thing. After school, you come home, back in my day, you get a big, fat mouthful of now and laters, and you watch Lost in Space. Mr. S- Dr. Smith. Uh, Dr. Smith. I always wondered about that dude. Everybody and, you know, back in the day, we didn't know whether people were really like yeah. that or not. Like, like Paul Lind is a great example yeah. of that. Like, I didn't, like, I'm like a little kid. What am I thinking of? Paul Lind, oh, Lord. I, Charles Nelson Riley. Wow, man, you're pretty good at these things, man. You got a good. You got, Richard you're, Dawson. <laughs> Richard Dawson's so handsome. <laughs> Paul Land. I. I uh, oh, He'd be flip his, flip his wrist. The Hollywood Square. Oh, my goodness. Right. <laughs> What do you think was up with that one guy who played Mr. Peabody? Who was that dude? That little oh, tiny guy? What yeah, do you think was up with him? <laughs> there was wow. something I up can't, with him. Yeah, it was yeah. that was crazy. But yeah, so so but we but you could see the the, the it was there. It was the parents could see it. Absolutely. Now we can't see it. So that's a problem. But I do appreciate it. the one thing I will have to tell you is that I appreciated that uh, that Aiden brought it up to me. And, and and because he is the one that opened the comment, that he trusted me enough to tell me about thirteen reasons why, and knew that even if I didn't like it, I wasn't just going to blow up at him and go nuts. No, it's a testament to your relationship with your son. Yeah, it's also probably the exact fodder that the people who produce the show would say, "See, that's why we did it. That's why we're doing the show." So your son will open a conversation with you about this topic. So we we have succeeded in our mission of this show. You said third season is in, is in production, so they're obviously big money in this show. I wish Netflix would get behind the show about suicide of veterans the way they're doing this because that's a topic I wish people were talking more about uh, in around the dinner table because that's a serious, serious problem in this country, um, the suicide yeah. rate of veterans. But uh well, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to talk about veteran suicide around the dinner table, but no, I, but, no, but, no, but, right. but I, I will, but I think it's a conversation that needs to happen, yeah. and, and and even with though, I, see, I don't. This is this is where I have a problem with this because I'm I'm not really a sheltering person by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't want to have a conversation about suicide with my 13 year old. I don't either. 
I, I, I think it's too early. I think it's too much. And that's where, and again, this is where Gia really hits a nerve when she talks about this stuff. This is where kids are being exposed to things way too early. And sometimes it doesn't matter whether or not your kid is watching it. It matters whether or not your kid's friends are watching it. Because no matter what you do, uh, believe me, let me, let, let's put it this way. Remember when the when the Budweiser frogs came out? I do. Remember the Budweiser sitting, frogs sitting on lily pads? And yeah, yeah. And, and it was a brilliant was ad campaign. Mm-hmm. And AB did it because it was very entertaining. Well, all these goofballs attacked Anheuser Busch because of the Budweiser frogs make and, and because it was a cartoon or it's kind of like you know a, like a whatever they call it, an animated yeah. thing that it was trying to get kids to drink beer. Oh. And it was the biggest crock of BS, this group. It was like, you're trying to make, you're using a frog to get kids to drink beer. It's like, um, probably not. I, because because if, you, if you did any kind of analysis of, the, of kids' behavior, it, it, peer pressure is the number one reason why kids do things. And so you could talk all about Budweiser frogs all day long, but a Budweiser frog isn't going to be the reason why a kid is drinking beer. You're not going to say, hey, how come you, I mean, how, you catch your kid with a butt? Why are you doing that? Well, the frogs liked it. Right. The frogs made it look fun. It's like, no, you're 14. Yeah. It's because your peers are doing it. Yeah. And, and that's the biggest influencer of anything. So that's why it's important to, first of all, I think maybe talk about it in this sense because – uh, the fact that Aiden brought it up is a reason to also then say, okay, so are you, is it your friends who are watching it? Are you are you the only one in your friend's circle watching it? Uh, and and or or you know what? In the end, there might be something where Aiden actually thinks it's okay. Suicide is okay, and then then you got a real problem on your hands because sure because. Once again, I'll go back to my original point, and then we'll take a break, and then we'll come back and deal with some other stuff. The uh, there are not reasons why there the, there's not a reason to commit suicide, and, and and that's what we were taught growing up. There wasn't a reason to shoot people at a school. Right. There wasn't a reason to pinch somebody's ass at work. Right. Okay. I mean. But there's, there aren't reasons why you do this. That, that, that we never, as growing up in, in, in our generation, we were never taught that there were reasons why you did bad things. Right. They were bad things. That's right. There, there weren't reasons why you did them. You don't do them. Go, go yeah. to, if you go to any prison, you'll, it's chock full of people going, well, you know, I did this because of that, and because he wronged me, and she wronged, did this. I, you know, criminals, sociopaths, will constantly give you reason after reason after reason why they are terrible people. But it will never be them. <laughs> I'm, I, you know I'm a terrible person? Because I'm a terrible person. <laughs> They'll never say that. They'll say, you know I'm a terrible person? Because Bill over there didn't pay me for the blah, blah, blah. Or she didn't go to prom with me. And that's why, you know. So, but, but rarely do sociopaths ever kind of admit that they're the ones who are the problem. And so we were always, and, and so when you're seeing these 
criminals, they'll always tell you that they, they, they've got 15 reasons why, 20 reasons why they did something horrible. But it'll never be because they're terrible. It'll be because somebody else is. That's why the suicide thing and the 13 reasons why, we were always taught there is no why when you commit suicide. It's wrong. It's selfish. It's cruel to the living. And it's, a, it's an aggressive act. Uh, and, and it is an act that you are intending to hurt other people. Yep. Uh, or, or to, there are times, I'm sure, and again, again, my sympathies to anybody who has been affected by suicide, and I don't claim to know everybody who, uh, every, everything there is to know about people who are committing suicide. But more often than not, people are doing it as an act of revenge or designed to hurt people around them. That's aggressive. It's aggressive. You're yes. Right. It's an aggressive. Mm-hmm. And so to leave a cassette tape oh, that's where just, you have uh, is, is really kind of sick. That's cruel. I mean, that's just, that's, that's a bonus cruelty left right. behind. Um, right. It's, it's almost, and to leave a cassette tape zeroing in on 13 people or 13 reasons or 13 people who have, who, who, who basically you're the reason caused me is, to, is mm-hmm. yes is serial cruelty is what it is. Well, just like you said, you don't claim to know all the reasons and what's in the minds and what's in, this show is pretending to to know because they're producing a show. So yeah, they're 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 putting it in a box and saying this is why this is why right. So they're assuming that they understand what's going on inside these kids' minds, and I think that's just um that's a dangerous. Yeah, there was an article written in the New York Times that I found very compelling. It was an editorial written by a Parkland student. And it was really pretty good. I, I'll, maybe I'll find it if, if I can and, and, and put it in the comment section. But she called BS on this idea that this guy, because he was bullied, shot the school up. And she said, I'm tired of being blamed for what this a-hole did to my fellow students and to this school. There are plenty of kids who had, have been bullied, who have been this, have been that, and they're not shooting people up. So on behalf of all the students, those of us who apparently it's our fault he shot the school right. up, I'm telling you, pound sand, nice. it's not our fault. That's the bottom line. Stop blaming us for the act of a... Sick, cruel, mean, bad, amoral murderer. It's not our fault. Now, can we learn something from the lack of help provided to him? In fact, I think in most cases, the people probably who are most responsible, or at least who played a part in not stopping him from being, from, from, uh, from communicating his horribleness, are the adults whether it be the people who are taking care of him, the people in the school, the administrators who purposely uh, try to suffocate the numbers of bad kids for the sake of federal funding, all that kind of stuff. The police. There's so, the police who didn't act on it. But those, but, but those were all people who could have stopped him. But they weren't the reasons why he shot up a school. And so, again... That's why this girl, it was very compelling. It was about uh, three weeks ago or something like that. And she just said, you know, 
don't put this on us. This isn't us. Yeah, this that isn't did, our that fault. didn't make the news as much as it should have, as much as if, uh, you know, uh, our boy uh, would, would have, Hogg, I'm sorry, would have, Hogg would have tweeted something or something. That's where the news covers that type of stuff. Right. His, his, right. His, his camp, they get a lot of attention when they formally do this or state this or let's lay down in a grocery store or whatever. They get all the coverage. Uh, that I'd never heard of. I, I'd like to read that. That's from a student who feels. Yeah, like I'm, the New York Times at least put it out there. Uh, so to to the New York Times credit, it put it out there. But we've beaten this one to death here. So. Uh,
Pastor. Uh, we rip on that song pretty hard. Why? Me and my drummer. Because we're pretty hard. We're just hard. We're hard on people. We're mean. I like it. I know. I like, Bush is good. He's, he's uh, a little underrated. I kind of like. I like this one. This modern Bush tunes. You guys rip on this one too? No, just glycerin. Is glycerine like a woman's name or something? What is that? He's, he's saying glycerine like gasoline, like start a fire. That's yeah. what they say over there, like petrol, all that stuff. So he's, he's basically saying she's hot, basically. Yep. yep. He's saying a lot, too. This is really a good one, too. I like this one. Follow me down to the water. It's good. Through the trip wires in your head. Through the Shout out to my drummer right now. Although generally, back in the day, like the early '90s, the last thing you'd want to do is follow one of these dudes down to the water. Because if you were in an early '90s alternative song, and you were a woman, you're probably going to be murdered. Come down to the river's edge. Don't go down to the river's edge. To the water. Through the trip wires in your head. Through the seven layers. That's where Jesse the drummer comes out. Right? That's where he kicks it. Yeah. Where there is no one gone. But a series of systems. I want to be your savior. I think if you guys like all these other songs, you like give him a break for the other one. He did it. They did an acoustic version, unplugged, of Glycerine. That's the one we we favor in our discussions around the around the table. We're going to talk about that stuff when we do our our own music show. Get into the weeds <laughs> with Bush. Yeah, I'd love to talk about Gwen Stefani, who's an ex-wife or whatever, or wife. Maybe they're still married. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see some stuff here. I heard a, I heard somebody doing a remake of. Um, I think that was appropriate. Some songs. Say, how dare you remake Oh You Pretty Thing? Like, how could you possibly remake? How could you possibly remake a Bowie song? I mean, who are you to try to do that? 
It's like if you guys played it, like if, if Nine Killer played it, it'd be different. That's different. But recording it and releasing it, you know. some nerve, dude. Yeah. I'm telling you. Wake up, you sleepy head. Put on some clothes, shake up your bed. Put another log on the fire for me. I made some breakfast and coffee. Look out my window. What do I see? Crack in the sky and a hand reaching down to me. All the nightmares came today. It looks as though they're here to stay. What are we coming to? No room for me, no fun for you. Really early Bowie here. I think about a world to come where the books were found by the gold. We see Bowie interviewed by Dick Cavett. I know that interview too. I know that interview. Yep. Yeah. I loved Dick Cavett. Dick Cavett. Yeah. <laughs> He's a weird dude. <laughs> what? Really? Oh. Like watching uh, old loops of Dick Cavett. He interviewed like John Lennon yeah, and those that's guys. Like, uh, sit there and smoke. Yep. <laughs> yep. You know, I don't. I don't really smoke. I, I do love smoking, but I don't really smoke. But I wish more people smoked, like on TV and in in in. in uh, Talk shows and yep. things. I, I think like my, like uh, Tom Schneider like would sit there with this cigarette, basically hanging out of his mouth, right? Doing the Tomorrow Show. Yeah, little clouds would kind of waft into the camera. You'd see a little puff come in. The I used to watch with Carson. I used to try to catch him putting his down. Yeah, yeah. You know, between the well, he he kind of he would uh, have it. He'd cup it, so he'd have it in between his thumb and his forefinger, yep. and he'd cup it. And have it under the desk or whatever else, and and sometimes even if you caught him on a glory shot or something, he'd be just then just at that point putting it out. Yep. He, and he had a he I, and I realized yeah you know Tom Snyder did die of cancer, but, um, lung cancer I think, but he but I'm just saying it does have its consequences. So yeah, I mean Humphrey Bogart it didn't work out oh, well for him either. Man. No, or Edward R. Murrow or any. Actually, the guys who smoked on TV really didn't do very well. Down the line, I'm just saying. So I'm not saying it's the greatest thing on earth, uh, but I but think you, Dick, give it a try. Dick Cav- yeah, try right. it sometime, kids. <laughs> Here are 13 reasons why you should buy a pack of smokes today. Right. You know, while you're watching the, while you're cool. watching the Netflix, just You'll light one cool. up and start puffing yeah. away. Right. <laughs> take out, take out Grandpa's butane lighter <laughs> that looks like a. Yeah flower vase yeah. that has the little flicker on there and click it and yeah. see how things go for you. Don't mess with filters. You don't need filters. Mom and dad yeah. love it when you smoke. But no, they had, they so they would do, uh, he'd have like a little, there was like a little uh, dowser of sorts. It, it was like something he'd put it in there. So it would, so it, you wouldn't put it in there and then, then smoke would then come up while you were talking right. to your guest. It was like an extinguisher of some sort right next to his that. desk. Then you had Dick Cavett. Then we had uh, the old day, like Mike Douglas and those guys. Remember the Mike Douglas show? I do. I remember my Mike Douglas show. Merv Griffin? Yeah, a little bit. I remember those shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Dick Cavett was, was one of the more uh, intellectual guys on, in, 
and talk. So you could tell Dick Cavett while he was on TV, he was a little bit more, he was a little bit smarter than 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 other people on TV. Like Brian Williams, you see him. Here's this is is I have about three examples of the news media basically just going crazy and and outdoing itself in trying to criticize President Trump or the administration or where's Melania or whatever. Here's one where uh, this is the 11th hour show on MSNBC. And this is about President Trump's dispute with the NFL and the Eagles. So how do you how do you manage to drop a Hitler rest? As issues go, this is a shiny object. This is not the summit talks that are about to go on with North Korea. It's not the Russia investigation. It is football after all. But think of the collateral damage this week, Charlie. Football players have been... Charlie is Charlie Sykes, who is this never-Trumper idiot from Wisconsin who is on the radio up there as a so-called conservative commentator. And in fact, Sykes was the one who, when President Trump was considering Supreme Court, you know, remember he had to provide his list before he was elected. So he provides a list of individuals he would appoint to the Supreme Court. And one of them was Charlie Sykes' ex-wife. Wow, that's that. That was Trump just alpha mailing that, this. That's right. I remember this. The bag. Been accused of of uh, lacking patriotism. They've been accused uh, accused of being anti-military. Yeah. Well. Well. First of all, well, now that you mentioned it, note that this is a lie. Um, that in fact, none of the players did did take a knee. But this has two advantages for Donald Trump. It's a distraction, and it is a target uh, to focus the grievance of his base on. And this has been his playbook all along. This is the Charlie Sykes. And, and keep in mind, all the never Trumpers, like the people at the National Review and beyond, they all talked about how we as Trump supporters had a list of grievances. And I remember that word being used all the time to describe Trump supporters who apparently, because we wanted a stronger economy and because we were worried about the working class and because we were worried about manufacturing, this was our list of grievances. Now, of course, when you are statist, globalist prostitutes, for big corporations and their profiteering from trade deals and beyond. When when you're the Mitt Romney globalist, globalist types of individuals who have thrown the average American worker under the bus and created an entire generation of working poor, yes, of course you're going to describe us as having grievances the same way that Marie Antoinette described all of her people is having grievances when she talked about letting them eat cake because that's how this this more royal element of the Republican Party viewed all of us in the unwashed category and and, and because we were on to something they knew it but more importantly we were also on to them and they knew it and so the Charlie Sykes of the world, the National Review people out there, the Jonah Glenn Goldberg. Becks of the world, Jonah Goldberg, <laughs> Kevin Williamson, those guys who actually one time wrote an article. I can't remember if it was Kevin Williams or Kevin Williamson. I can't remember. But wrote an article about how white working class communities deserve to die. 
Yeah, that's Williamson. Williamson. Mm-hmm. And, and this was the guy who, and I'll never forget that article and seeing that article. And these are people who are conservative commentators. And what's even crazier about them, people like Jonah Goldberg, who still didn't even have a driver's license by the time Ronald Reagan was in office, but will still act as if they're the ones who are holding up Ronald Reagan's uh, standards when they don't even know who Ronald Reagan was. That's why, that's why when it came to tariffs and things like that, you heard these, these uh, early 40s people like Jonah Goldberg talking about how, oh, this is horrible, when in fact Reagan was the most tariff-addicted president this, this, this country has ever had. This guy taxed clothespins. I mean, it was, yeah. he was addicted to this stuff. And yet that wasn't really necessarily a negative thing because ultimately the economy was booming to the degree that, that it kind of offset a lot of what was going on there. But nonetheless, he, he basically prolonged the life of manufacturing on a number of different levels. Harley-Davidson, he saved for sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so that, that happened. I'm not saying it's all defensible. I'm just saying don't act like you're Ronald Reagan when you're criticizing President Trump over his tariffs. That's the worst person you could possibly claim that you're upholding the standards of. And in that sense, it's a proposition that you did. Uh, then Ronald Reagan. You, you're, not, you're not, just stop doing that. But yeah. that's what these guys all do. But Charlie Sykes is a great example of it. And he will more than willingly whore himself out to the MSNBC crowd as a conservative commentator, uh, much like a lot of these other guys do. Uh, there's, a, there's another guy who's a, um, boy, I forgot his name. I'm kind of glad. Because I'm, really, I'm not really on Twitter as much as I used to be. And this is a guy who is the, uh, the former... He's he's a political consultant, he calls himself, and he's on MSNBC all the time. And he hates Donald Trump, but more importantly, he hates Trump supporters. And Charlie Sykes hates Trump supporters. And Jonah Goldberg hates Trump supporters. Glenn Beck hates Trump supporters more than they hate Trump. Just saying. And he thinks about how this plays in red America. And he believes that that if if he pits the flag, the military, if he talks about these things against these pampered players, he's going to win. And And why shouldn't he? And and again, this this wasn't something he invented. This this came up because the Eagles were considering not coming to the White House. He didn't invent the possibility that the Eagles weren't coming to the White House. Nope. He didn't. He didn't invent that at all. So uh, this wasn't an invented thing for for President Trump to do. And wh- and exactly what again is wrong with juxtaposing the American flag and veterans to a bunch of ungrateful, wealthy, spoiled brats in the NFL? What exactly is wrong with that? Well, it's wrong because apparently they're black. And so if you are black, you must be worshipped, no matter what kind of ridiculousness you are. I'm sorry, a black celebrity. You must be worshipped if you, no matter how ridiculous your action happens to be. Unless, of course, you're Kanye and you're supporting President Trump. Then you must be widely criticized and apologize for what you're doing. But in the meantime, why, what, what exactly is, I, I couldn't figure out what Sykes is saying. It's like, what exactly is wrong with that? Now, here's the thing. Sykes is falling into the same trap that Hillary Clinton did when she was running for president. It's because you'd see her commercials and you're like, 
is this a commercial for Donald Trump or against him? Because everything you're saying in your criticism of him is something that makes him awesome. Yeah, in order to get to your point, you have to itemize a list of, <laughs> yeah. of credits that you yeah. have to give him. And uh, that was a really perfectly the way you just summed up that whole thing. I think that he's obviously trying to show that the White House contrived this, although the, it's clearly just a reaction to the Eagles' response to the invitation. Yes. So it's just, it's logical. It's just, it, that's... Oh, but there's another minute here, though, Phil. Oh, okay. I mean, come on. I mean, right. I mean do, do you feel like you've been listening to this for... 20 minutes already. I know that I've been interrupting it and Phil and I have been talking, but just the tape, we heard we heard 52 seconds and it, and it felt like an hour with these two idiots talking amongst each other. Even if you have this collateral damage, and Jason is absolutely right, by the way, you know, Wisconsin's a very divided political state, but the one thing we all believe in is football and the Green right. Bay Packers. And, you know, Donald Trump touching this has taken his willingness to use this kind of divisive politics to score points. He's taken it into our Sundays. Who's divisive? Is it the football player who makes a display of taking a knee during the national anthem? Or is it a person who is saying, hey, we don't like it when you do that. We're not going to go to your games anymore. And we're not going to support you taking a knee uh, during the national anthem for a country that has been hugely good to you, generous to you. And is probably the best place in the world for you to live. Who is more divisive? Phil, I'll give you A, the football player taking the knee. Or B, the individual who is trying to tell them that this is wrong for you to do that. B or A? A. Yes. Yes, you are correct, sir. Sweet. Yes. Now, keep in mind, this isn't about free speech. No one's trying to tell them they don't have – it's like kind of when you, when, you, when you get in an argument with people sometimes, which I never do, but other people do. I've heard other people get in arguments with other people. Right. Uh, they do. They yes, do. they do. Some people – I've heard that people argue with each other sometimes. So when somebody says something, they say, well, I have, I have every right to say that. And, and you, you would retort, well, I'm not saying you don't have the right to say it. I'm just disagreeing with what you said. Nobody's saying you don't, you don't have the right to do what you're doing. But, but if you're going to do it, I'm going to say something about it. You know what I'm saying? I do. That's... That's, that's what right. I heard people do. That's, anyway, when in they do. Parts. No, that's but, how it goes look. Um, th- this is something he thinks he can win on this issue. He thinks that the he is winning on this issue. <laughs> you know, he thinks he can win on this issue. He goes, okay, um, if you were to score. Trump versus the NFL ingrates, who do you think is winning this thing? The culture, he's comfortable with the culture war issues. He thinks that it resonates with his base. You're going to see a lot more. And by the way, um, memo to the NFL and anybody else who is targeted in a Donald Trump culture war, you notice that appeasement does not work. Gracious, um, gracious surrender. Listen to this, though. You know what's coming here? Wow. You know what's coming? Does not get you what you want. He sees that as a sign of weakness and he doubles down. Right. Didn't work for Joseph P. Kennedy in the years before <sighs> World War II either. So they're comparing President Trump to Joseph P. Kennedy, well, the, the NFL trying to, 
uh, trying to appease Trump to Joseph Kennedy trying to appease Adolf Hitler. Did you see what's going on there? I am watching the Olympics because these people are bending themselves and, 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 and twisting themselves in admirable but disgusting ways to try to compare President Trump to Adolf Hitler. That was a long way to go, but did it, 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 is, it but it's not the only place that it happened or the only time it happened on MSNBC. So there's this venom coming from MSNBC. This is from Newsbusters, which by the way, if you don't have a go-to site for your daily life, uh, please choose at some point Newsbusters because they do a great job and I lift from them liberally of attacking and holding to account the news media. They do, they're probably the best at it of anybody and it's all they do. Sometimes they can be a little nitpicky so it's not always a win. Sometimes a headline won't necessarily match you know, what is the content? Sometimes they go a little overboard. And Brent Bozell, to his credit, was kind of a never-Trumper, you know. He runs Newsbusters. Yeah. But but they are constantly defending President Trump against these media attacks. So Brent Bozell is a guy who actually has finally kind of let go of his he never di- He dialed back. He, he, bit, he bit down hard at the beginning, though. He oh, really he, did. He, he really did. A lot of people did. But the smart ones jumped back before it got too late. Unlike Goldberg and that gang, they, they stayed... They stuck with it, and they're not going to be able to get out of it now. So, <laughs> so President Trump has a so-called patriotism event at the White House, and this really makes MSNBC mad. And it's not hard uh, to make like Lawrence O'Donnell angry. Lawrence O'Donnell is—you can just look at him and know that anybody around him probably is miserable. And that and that and that it's painful to live with him, and or to or to be getting him coffee. It's just you can just look at him and say that dude is wound up really tight. Yeah, somebody hurt him. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I'm sorry, but this reminds me of certain regimes around the world, the Maduro regime in Venezuela. Yeah, this uh, is this is your this is your president, okay, at the White House holding a patriotism event, essentially, and talking about the American flag and the importance thereof, and in fact, ultimately tying it to D-Day and the sacrifices we saw that happened. We just uh, commemorated the anniversary yesterday of D-Day. And so this all tied in together, and all Brett Stevens. Now, keep in mind, you know who Brett Stevens is, right? No. Brett Stevens is a never-Trumper at the New York Times. So you okay. heard from Charlie Tr- Sykes, the never-Trumper radio guy on MSNBC. This is Brett this Stevens. Certain- it, it, this is Brett Stevens, who is a conservative, conservative right. so-called conservative, at the New York Times, who is a never-Trump guy, and these guys find their biggest audience at MSNBC. So they, they're reliable prostitutes for MSNBC. Regimes around the world... The Maduro regime in Venezuela comes to mind that pumps out its its followers to create an appearance of of unity and celebration when 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 it's simply not there. And what's just this guy? These guys can't be wrong. See, that's that's the problem. Brett Stevens was so wrong about President Trump. Charlie Sykes was too. 
They can't be wrong, so they have to turn this thing into this, whether it be comparing Trump to, 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 to Hitler or comparing Trump to Maduro in Venezuela, these guys will stop at nothing. Always stuns me, and it shouldn't stun me because we've had... We're looking, while Brett Stevens is talking, we're looking at video of the president with his hand over his heart, flanked by what appears to be Marines in, in, a, in, in some kind of red, I don't know what this is, and forgive me for not knowing what it is, I'm sure a lot of you do, uh, in front of two American flags, two, two flags, with an audience of military people. That's while Brett Stevens is talking about President Trump being just like the Maduro regime, this is the video we're seeing. Two and a half, three years to get used to this, which is the... That <laughs> This is him, and he's talking while the national anthem is playing, which I'm not saying you have to be in absolute cold, stone-cold silence, but the visual and the national anthem being played and a perfectly beautiful patriotic event on Tuesday, okay? Yesterday was the anniversary of D-Day, okay? the One of the bloodiest, we had huge losses, where the United States freed the world. Yeah. All right? The, 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 the United States, on D-Day, January 6th, freed the world. And, 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 and there's a ceremony commemorating this and they're claiming it's a ceremony. It's a. It's. it's they call it, first of all, they call it a patriotic event, mm-hmm. which I guess it is. But why are you saying it like it's a, like it's a strip tease act? Right. Continual weaponization of differences when we should have conciliation. That the where we had divisive on the other hand, right now we have this weaponization claim. Uh, where, when in fact the people who are weaponizing the commentary and everything else are people like Brett Stevens. You're watching video of a president with a hand over his heart during the national anthem, and this guy's talking about how President Trump is weaponizing patriotism. It is the stock and trade of this presidency. And as usual, Sarah is obfuscating. 50 years ago yesterday, Bobby Kennedy walked through the kitchen of the Ambassador Hotel. You know where this is going, right? Sirhan Sirhan, perhaps? This is, again, these guys, we're about to see a linkage of the assassination of Bobby Kennedy to the actions of President Trump. I'm talking about a linkage, meaning President Trump didn't cause the assassination, but talking, even mentioning the assassination, which was on June 5th, 1968, right after we won the California primary. Actually, you know, Bobby Kennedy's son doesn't believe that Syrian Syrian was the one who did it. Okay. Anyway, well, I'll let, I'll let this goofball Mark Thompson talk, and then we'll get to it. On his right was a great African-American athlete, a gold man. So... I see the tie now. I get it. Okay, right. Okay. Rosie Greer. Oh, I met. Was Rosie a football Greer. player. I met him, yeah. and he was with Bobby Kennedy at the time. They are. This is all in one segment. Okay, people. So you're watching the president with his hand over his heart, a Marine band, the national anthem, and you're hearing Brett Stevens talk about how the president's simply weaponizing patriotism, right? Mm-hmm. And then they tie it into. 
the Eagles taking a knee controversy at the American flag, and now they're going to tie the NFL players and why they should be respected so much when they take the knee at the American flag because there was an NFL player flanking or two flanking Bobby Kennedy when he was assassinated. You can't make this crap up, people. I, it's, I can't even believe that these guys can, can map out this intellectual strategy with a straight face. And can the average MSNBC viewer put it all together once they've been told? I mean, are they, are they able to tie this together to a 1968? This is deep. It's a freshman college term paper full of non-sequiturs. That's basically what this is. Medalist Rayford Johnson. On his left, a former NFL player, Rosie Greer. They took him to the podium. They walked him off the podium where he lost his life. Literally 50 years to the day, Trump holds his ceremony. And it's a part of his overall movement to attack African-American athletes and cause division. So once you... Once you all pick up your jaw from the floor, how is it possible you could you could defend this kind of commentary with any seriousness at all? And keep in mind, you know what they 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 conf- they must not have known it was the anniversary of D Day when they were watching this ceremony. That's Be- because because they thought that, I think that I'm I'm now getting the idea that they thought that this ceremony was held to shame the Eagles. The Eagles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, it I, almost I think, sounds like that, Jamie. You're I, right. I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to feel like there's a possibility they didn't know it was the anniversary of D-Day when they were on TV here. Right. As they were watching. Why is it? Oh, look at him. This display of the American flag to shame these black Eagles players is terrible. Like, no, shh. Somebody in his ear didn't say, you know, uh, it's the anniversary of D-Day. Like nobody. That's because they're probably scared to talk to these people. They probably jump right down their throats. What's that sound? Remember Lawrence with that sound in my headphones? (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. But no, people, I mean, I I don't know. You want to hear more? Because because you're, you're, this is CNN, okay? You, you have, the lowest black unemployment rate in the history of the United States. You have the lowest unemployment rate we've seen in modern history. You have a president who has set nine records in his first 500 days in office, nine economic records. I'm talking about stats, not from the RNC, not from Sarah Huckabee Sanders, but from the Bureau of Labor Statistics from the same people who were there when Obama was there. President Trump hasn't changed a soul at the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Donald Trump Jr. isn't working at the Bureau of Labor Statistics. You have this guy, and and this is what they're talking about. And, and, And then they're calling him divisive when he just dares stand up for the flag. They're calling him... A person who is is uh, pet- weaponizing patriotism when they're having a ceremony commemorating D Day. 
And that's coming from conservatives on MSNBC. Then CNN decides they're going to be obsessed with the absence of Melania. So in one week, CNN has aired 25 stories on where Melania is. It's been 23 days since we've seen the First Lady, and adding to the speculation surrounding that public absence, her decision to not accompany the President on a family trip to Camp David this weekend. Uh, the last time we caught a glimpse of her was on Mar- May 10th. Uh, 24 days, more than three weeks. There's been a lot of questions about... It's interesting how they, they don't like Melania's independence, apparently. Like, like, there are plenty of times, and you guys out there, and you ladies out there, there are times when, for instance, you might be going someplace, or you're going to have some trip or whatever, and you decide that you're going to stay home, or you're doing something else, or, you know, and, and it's not like these guys are taking separate vacations, because a trip to Camp David, first of all, Camp David is a miserable place, right. just, just so you know. It's like going to uh, a log cabin yep. at Johnson Shut-ins. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's just it's musty. Mm-hmm. It's Eisenhowery. It's just there's nothing there's nothing comfortable right. or luxurious about Camp David. And, and it's not that Melania is a snob. It's just that I don't want to go to Camp David. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> you know, I mean, no. you know, if, if you can imagine a place that smells like mothballs and has pictures of Mamie Eisenhower all over the place, nothing wrong with Mamie Eisenhower. I'm just saying, and 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 you have furniture that is basically from 1953. You you're not you don't like going to Camp David, right? And if I'm Melania, I'm not. I'm not going near Camp David. Not even sitting down in there, right? Yeah. Probably spider. And imagine if you imagine there's probably spiders all over the Daddy place. Daddy long legs everywhere. Yes. And 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 the, and the but but Camp David is not a pleasant place to be, and it's not a resort. It's not Miralago, and 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 while it is. A storied place to a certain degree because of all the Camp David meetings and the Camp David Accord. But you can, if you can imagine these guys from foreign countries going to Camp David going, um, where are we? Because is this, is this the hills of Tennessee or is this like if you can imagine when they did the whole Camp David Accords, guys from, from the Middle East are like going, and, 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 they, and they live like in, in huts in the sand. Yep. And they're there going, um, that doesn't, that doesn't, these guys, some of them are sitting cross-legged on a mat, uh, shoveling rice into their faces with their hands. And Camp David is still not comfortable for them. Just telling you. About her surgery, her time at Walter Reed, and now her uh, invisibility. Might be too hard on Camp David. I'm looking at pictures. Um, they may have updated it a little bit now, but... Uh... Yeah, there's old pictures of it, and it looks like uh, like when you went to camp when you were a kid. At Yosemite, yeah, uh, Andesan like, yeah. or something. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Camp White Cloud. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guarantee you, there are bunk beds in that place too. You want to make a bet? 
responsibility. It seems like all she really needs to do is just step outside of the White House, just show her face. Yeah, right. A, a show her, show her face to, to this uh, Laura Bissell from the uh, Huffington Post. She's demanding she sees Melania's face. That's all she has to do. Just come out the door. Just come out the door yeah. so we can then see we're you. all cool. And we confirm that you're dutifully right. serving your master, right. Donald Trump. Who you hate. Right, who right. you hate because mm-hmm. he, you know, this and that. Because they're, they're trying to insinuate somehow that there's some, some kind of problem with the marriage and everything else. And, and, and by the way, um, I wish, had I known, I would have done reports on how, how I'm tired of seeing Michelle Obama. There you go. But I didn't really, I, the, the first lady thing was never a thing with me. I never really, I, I always felt uncomfortable attacking or or picking on first ladies. You yeah. know what I mean? You never did that when I listened no, to you. No, I just I, it, it yeah. didn't seem it didn't seem right or the kids or whatever else. Right. I mean, obviously I did make fun of Michelle Obama when she talked about the food you, when she talked about certain things like making kids eat, you know, make, making McDonald's serve you apples with um with um turpentine on them. <laughs> but 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 other than that, I really didn't have you had one of the apples from McDonald's? I wouldn't touch one of those apples. No, I've seen them, and I, I wouldn't do that. You know why you wouldn't want to touch them? No. Because you smoke, right? If, if one of the apples came near your cigarette, it would probably burst it, into flames. And combust. Right. Yes, because there's something on there that is combustible. I can taste it. <laughs> and the reason I can taste it is because my kids won't go near the apples. Right, so you end up eating them? So I have to eat them. To prove that she's fine, to prove that everything's as she. What does Milani have to prove to this ditz? Yeah, a little giggle, a little giggle. You know, right there. <laughs> she says it is. She addressed this. She kind of blamed the media a bit. She said uh, that the media was working overtime, speculating. Oh yeah, and, and by the way, this is them saying that they're blaming the media about, uh, and that Melania is trolling the media for working overtime, speculating. And and this is the seventh story I'm, I've shown you so far that CNN has done in a week on Melania's absence. And they're saying that this is Melania trolling them. About where I am and what I'm doing, rest assured is that I'm here at the White House with my family, feeling great and working hard on behalf of the American people. Why can't they just accept the answer from Melania? And you know what? Melania ought to actually issue the statement in the five languages she speaks. There you go. That's what I like. Did that tweet from the first lady put an end to the mystery for you, or did it spark more speculation? Camp David family weekend. People, no, the Obamas never went, well, maybe once, I don't know. But the Obamas never went to Camp David for a family weekend. No, they did not. Definitely did not. I don't think they I don't think they ever I don't think Obama ever went there. It was too white for him, yep. I think. I don't think it's he did. Too, it was too whitey Eisenhowery. Mm-hmm. You know He uh, went to Hawaii. I think his name went. is Dwight. And if you take away the D, it's white. I'm not going to Cap David. <laughs> <laughs> they just slipped in the white at the D and the Dwight. We're gonna go to White Whitey McWhitington's log cabin. I'm not, you know, I'm going to Hawaii. Let's get to Maui. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason I say Eisenhower is because Camp David's named after Eisenhower's son, David Eisenhower. You're always bringing the knowledge, man. I'm, well, always, just, I'm always learning. Just tell me why it's Camp David, because Eisenhower made that. I know. I you, didn't. Didn't build, you didn't build Camp David. Someone else made that happen. 
Dwight, take the D away. It's white. I go in there. <laughs> no, it didn't. It, it sparked a lot more speculation because if she's feeling great, a lot of people are saying, well, then why aren't you accompanying your husband to right. uh, Camp David? <laughs> you know, it would be great if, if Melania said, I'm not going to Camp David because it's an asshole. Right. That's <laughs> why. In the words of my husband, Camp David is an asshole. <laughs> that's what she ought to say. Oh but, but the problem is, though, you know, that's why I'm not the first lady. That's what she thinks, I would bet. I mean, just probably what she thinks, but she would probably say it. Well, that's not the only reason I'm not the first lady, but there, there are 13 reasons why I'm not the first lady. I'm going to put a Netflix series out. 13 reasons why I'm not the first lady. First, I'm a man. Secondly, I'm not married to Donald Trump. Instead, believe a cassette tape to tell you all the reasons why I'm not the first lady. She gives off this tweet, which doesn't sound like She's Melania bad. at all. It actually sounds more the, 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 the Melania stalker is back, this chick, <laughs> Laura Bassett from the Huffington Post. This is, again, this is, this is story number 10. Like in a her week. husband, she in jabbed at the media a little bit. That's not something Melania usually does. And so instead of... Yeah, because the, the news media usually doesn't... What is that, what is that uh, blue screen up there on the stream? What is that? Say. Oh, it's updates. It's still running. Oh, okay, I think good. we're still running. Yep. <clears throat> Matt, good call. I didn't know. I'm make sure, yeah. Just want to make sure I saw a blue screen and something else, and it's like, okay. There's a remind me later tab, so I'm just going to Ending the speculation and putting out the fire. It just yeah, I wish there was a tab that said, don't talk to me again. Right. Well, yeah. on these computers. Ever. The remind me later thing. Yeah. I, I see what it said. Act now, remind me later, or never talk to me again. I just want that third tab there. It's kind of fanned the flames. And First Lady Melania Trump. Has not been seen in public for weeks, not, not since she had a kidney procedure. We're told she will be at a White House event tonight, but we won't see her. The event is closed to the press. As we said, the First Lady was out of the... When is, when is an event involving the First Lady where you're having a dinner at the White House, when is that ever really just kind of open to the press? Right. Spotlight for... 24 days. It raised a lot of questions. People were concerned about her because it followed a medical uh, procedure for a kidney condition of some kind. Do you think they're really concerned about her or do they just want to kind of promote this idea that somehow she hates Donald Trump? That's what it is. Yeah. It's, it's pretty obvious. And they don't even go into the medical part, which is really serious stuff. What happened to her was serious and it was actually kind of scary. With her kidney? Yeah, yeah man. It's serious mean, stuff. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah.
Beat a horn, baby. Can you? Good take. Can't beat a horn. I one time, uh, I really always wanted to play an instrument. I tried. I didn't have the patience for it. And when I tried to play the drums, my parents didn't have the patience for it. So I did try to uh, play the trumpet once, and I couldn't do it. I was too lazy, basically. It's hard. Yes. I could have learned, though. And then the drums, you know. I I really was in the drum thing just to be the cool guy with the rubber pad at school, you know. Yeah, I'm a drummer, sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's like my paradiddle right here. Right, right. The reason I'm banging on the rubber pad is because uh, I don't. I'm just my drums aren't around. So, but I'm a drummer. So I'm a drummer. That's why I'm banging on the rubber pad. The snare drum. And it drove my mother nuts. I bet it did. They're loud. Well, I was on the third floor. Don't defend my mother. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah what's her no, problem? <laughs> yeah. No, she was. It was really. It kind of. It was a relief. Let's put it that way. Put your drum away! Okay, yes. I, uh... Then I, then I, then I, the one thing I'm going to do before I die is I am going to learn how to play the piano. I really want to learn how to play the piano. 
You can do that in a couple of weeks if you really sit down and try. Yeah, I think so. Because, as you know, as a musician, Phil, music is power to me. I mean, I'm not talking about power as in, like, over people. It's power of expression. It's more like a, a freeing power to be able to play an instrument. I've always been mesmerized by... Ever since I was a kid, when, when you, like, for instance, that's why I love when I took Aiden to go see live music and when I took the kids, the older kids earlier, and eventually I'll take Natalie and Lily when they get a little older. I did take them to see Ariana Grande, yeah. and, but I'm talking about musicians. Right. And I love watching them watch musicians play because to me, that is the most confounding, amazing thing to watch musicians play music. Yep. Yeah, I've taken my kids to some cool concerts of 80s bands that have come back through, like Tears for Fears, took my son to Kansas City to see them. And yeah. We just recently went and saw Ambrosia and uh, uh, Guess Who and uh, Bill Champlain and stuff down at Family Arena. We just, that was one of the best concerts I've seen in, in recent history. I could not yeah. believe how good that concert was. The Guess Who was amazing. It's, not, it's only two of the original members, and then they, you know, but... Right. Yeah, it's, it's fun watching your kids watch musicians doing their thing and, and watch just watching them discover you know the, the freedom like you said to, to have an instrument and be able to just express yourself on it is uh it's really i take it Amazing. for granted but yeah probably i would be i i have to watch it though because i might i might i might if i learn how to do something like that i might be the annoying guy who Every time I see a piano, I'm some, chopsticks. Some, yeah, yeah. Right. In, in some, you know, in some uh, lobby someplace. There some I bar. am playing. Look, kids, I'm playing. It's like so. Maybe I would be kind of obnoxious once I learn how to do that. But I do. I do want to learn how to do that. You have a piano. I do. Yes. So learn "Happy Birthday." That's the one you should learn. That way, when the everybody's over for the party, you can be that. You can lead the song. That's one of the great ways to mm-hmm. to enjoy it. My uncle had one of those because he was like a big you know he this was back like in the swinging 60s you know mm-hmm. he had one of these Wurlitzer this big uh, organs, organs. Mm-hmm. and he'd get on that thing and start playing and they had all the they had all the things that had like the drum and the tambourine uh, and that kind of stuff on it yeah right exactly right Chet Uncle Chet Uncle Chet Navy guy Navy commander, actually. But he knew how to play that damn Wurlitzer boy, I'll tell you. It's interesting to me, though, and maybe you can answer me this uh, question. Since you're a musician, I've asked this before. It's interesting how there hasn't been another, like, there's no, people aren't making new instruments. Like, it seems like there was a time where it was like the cutoff. Okay, no more new instruments. We got them all. Thank you very much. Because, like, there's no, like, unlike... New inventions of technology. I understand that there's new inventions of delivery of the music, uh, new inventions of, of ways in which a guitar might sound through something, but there really hasn't been like a new instrument. Processing is what's changed, is what's been evolving. Yeah. It's processing an instrument. Like you could take a guitar and you could put an electronic pickup on it now, and so your guitar is a keyboard. So I I play, pluck a note and it's an organ. You know they they do that. And the newest instruments probably are in the percussion world, where for for all your drum circle hipster dudes that want to yeah. sit on a box and bang it, there's a new instrument there, you know. So, but yeah, but no. there aren't any like there's no, like there's nobody saying, "Look, I made a new woodwind." Oh, for sure not. No, I mean you know, I yeah. mean it's like it's like no one has come up with a you know 
a, a new woodwind, or no one's come up with a, look, I made a new bra a brass instrument. Look at this one. Nope. Not in a long time. Yeah. Kids, that would be my commencement address. When you grow up, design a new woodwind. Have a good rest of your life. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. <laughs> Right on. Put that put that admiral's little speech to shame. <laughs> Belleville Area College. Commencement. <laughs> right. Yeah. But no, it's is that fascinating? Like like there's not a new fruit. When is the last time a new fruit came out on the market? Have you seen a lemon orange? I was out in LA and one of my friends out there had a tree that grew lemon oranges. Yeah. Combo. I thought that was new, but it's probably not. But there's still but it's still two fruits in That's one, right. see. Right. But, but but so those are separate. separate. So you like want a, something with a new look, a like new a name, new fruit. New, you want something right? Wow. Has it been a new meat in a long time? <laughs> now where would that come from? That would have to be a another new, a new animal. Uh, somebody trying something else. <laughs> oh, okay. You know, well, wow. ball. We'll go back to the whole thing, and that's why. I, I mean, maybe um, I'll write a book because I've done this, talked about this before. Chicken. You know, the, like how did things come about where we're like like who was the first person to drink milk yeah that was always been my That's, big thing <laughs> it's a pretty fascinating question where do we get how do we you know cook food who was the person that thought it was a good idea to go and squeeze those things under a cow and drink whatever came out of there that took some balls because you know people were standing around going don't do that i don't know what that is but i wouldn't drink it Oh, come on. It's probably good for you. And a couple weeks later, he's all, you know, yeah. ripped. Makes the body good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'll give a, I'll get a, look, I have a mustache. Look. <laughs> like, dude, do not, it's disgusting. No, it's good for you. Build your bones. And then it turns out he's right. He's laying down on the ground under a cow. Yeah, I mean, that, I'm not sure where we first got the idea for that. That's uh, besides, obviously, you know, the mammary glands of the female. But uh, to, to put it in a cup and drink it. And I don't know if you ever drink milk directly from, but it's pretty gross. I've never had the occasion to drink milk directly from. I tasted someone on a farm one, <clears throat> and it was really, really, really bad. See, that must have been what it was like in the old days then. Because right. here, taste this, and you're like, okay. And you're like, oh, yeah. Mm. Like normally you go, I'm not tasting that until you run it through. Yeah, that's the, not, the, that's not what's in the, the fridge. At take home. it, take it to seal test and 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 make that into something for me because I'm not drinking that right like that. <laughs> seal test. Do they still make ice cream? I, don't know. I haven't heard that brand in so long. I know <laughs> that was back in the day when people smoked on airplanes. They had seal test around. All right, here's an article that's interesting. It's in Vice. You ever remember Vice? Oh, yeah. It's a good, good website. Absolutely. Your phone is listening, and it's not paranoia. By the way, 10 minutes, we're going to have Jim Talon on. He's in D.C. in the meeting, but we're going to get him on. So your phone is listening to you, and it's not paranoia. Uh, and here's the deal. A couple years ago, and this is written in the first person by a guy. He says, a couple years ago, something strange happened. A friend and I were sitting at a bar, iPhones in our pockets, discussing our recent trips in Japan, and how we'd like to go back. It's from Sam Nichols. He and his buddy were talking about their trips to Japan. That must have been fascinating. 
The very next day, we both received pop-up ads on Facebook about cheap return flights to Tokyo. It seemed like just a spooky coincidence, but then everyone seems to have a story about their smartphone listening to them. So is this paranoia or are smartphones actually listening? I've actually never had an experience like that. Have you? I have. Oh, you have? Most definitely have. Were you talking to your bud in a bar about your Tokyo trips? No. Oh, okay. Just talking about products or shopping for something or whatever, and, and then all of a sudden... Ads will pop up for that kind of product or specifically that product. It's it's it is alarming to me, and I I do worry about it actually. And I would never put these devices that people are putting in their homes that literally are bugging their homes, like Alexa and all these other, you know, right in the center of your table in your living room. There's a a bug basically in your house. I would never put one of those, but I feel like this sometimes may be listening. Well, to let's what we're maybe we about. should we should do something then. Maybe they can take it a step further. And your smartphone, if your smartphone is really listening. Boy, I sure wish CNN would catch fire. We'll wait. We'll wait. I sure wish Melania Trump would tell MSNBC to pound sand. According to Dr. Peter Hanne, the senior security consultant for cybersecurity from Asterisk, Formal lecture, blah, blah, blah. The short answer is yes, but perhaps in a way that's not as diabolical as it sounds. For your smartphone to actually pay attention and record your conversation, there needs to be a trigger, such as when you say, hey, Siri. Uh, one time I did say, are you serious? Are you serious? Oh, here, let me just see. Let me just check some back. Because I was, I, was uh, I was telling somebody I was serious about something. I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm totally serious. Oh, well, anyway, I did that, she and my came Siri on. came on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or OK Google. In the absence of these triggers, any data you provide is only processed within your own phone. This might not seem a cause for alarm, but any third-party applications you have on your phone, like Facebook, for example, still have access to this non-triggered data. And whether or not they use the data is really up to them. So maybe these guys were talking about their trip to Japan together. And one of them goes, I'm serious. I love Tokyo. And then Sirius came on and listened to them. And then that's probably what it is. And they say that the people behind you, standing near you, they use the words that can trigger your phone. So you don't even know that it wasn't something you said. It was something that was somebody said near you. And uh, <clears throat> so. I know people who on their, on their computers, they put tape over their Absolutely. camera. Absolutely. Really? Well, they make a device. They make a thing now where you just put it on there. But yeah, people. We used to do that back on my PC um, back in two thousand two thousand one when when we realized there were cameras. You know, <laughs> we were like, yeah, <laughs> we were really? scared. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Not because we were doing anything. We were afraid somebody would see, but <clears throat> we were just afraid in general that our kids would come by and push a button and that camera would come on and we wouldn't know. And then the microphone too. I mean. Yeah, <laughs> I, I never, I never worried about that. I'm not worried about. I, apparently, I'm not really worried about enough stuff. You're not, man. You're too centered. I mean, I'm, I'm just not. Um, I'm, I'm not thinking in those directions. Like, like somebody would be. Like, I don't, I don't know who would want to watch me. You know what I'm saying? Like, like who would right. want to slip into my computer and watch what I'm doing? You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. That's what. That's the question. Why would somebody want to do that? But then, apparently. 
it does happen. So right. especially the camera thing. That's a fact. We know right. that has happened in people's right. homes. So and uh yeah, I don't know why what somebody would, would want to. I mean, well, like when I'm babysitting and the baby won't stop crying, I do put a little thing over the camera just in case. Okay. So that'll be good. I mean, that's probably the extent of it is when I when I do that, that's about it. Did you see they busted these people at the border uh and and it's at peak arrest levels right now. Mm-hmm. So U.S. border agents, 50,000 arrests in May. 50,000 arrests in May. Uh, that's... Right there at the, at, at, the, at, the, at the Mexican border. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, it actually flies in the face, and this is for the third month in a row, right? So, 50, 000, so that's 150,000 people who have been arrested at the border. Now let's see how many people, how many illegal immigrants do we have in in this country? Twelve million, they said. Hold on a second here. Twelve million. Right, twelve million. Right. So, let's see, twelve million. <laughs> Hold on, watch out, because I'm doing math. Twelve million. Let's see how many zeros is that? Okay, now twelve million divided by fifty thousand. Hmm. 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 Equals 240. 240. So if they had only done what they did 240 months in a row instead of three months in a row, we wouldn't have 12 million illegals. Now, keep in mind, I was – this flies in the face of my preconceived notion and and what I've been told, too, that the – most of the illegal immigration is from people who are overstaying their visas and and that this idea that somehow uh, people are just kind of crossing the Rio Grande is not how we got all of our immigrants, our illegal immigrants, which, of course, I've, I've, I've gone back on my own rule. They're not immigrants, so illegal aliens. Mm-hmm. So th- the reality is, though, if you're catching 50,000 people at the border, that's a lot of people. I'm stunned at that number. That's amazing. I didn't know we were doing that kind of numbers at the border. So that's clearly not people overstaying their visas. That's that means people are still making the journey, uh, you know, to our borders and being arrested, trying to sneak in. I guess arrests at the border have jumped to their highest level since Trump took office, and the reversal has left the president furious. At Homeland Security folks and other aides who believe they aren't doing enough to stop the trend. I, and what, what I mean is they're not doing enough to even keep the people from crossing to begin with. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of a case for the wall, I guess. And for Mexico to get on board with this as well. Uh, I think Mexico's to blame for some of the immigrants uh, coming to our borders. I'm not sure why that's allowed. Well, and at this point, what they're doing is is now they're pushing for more border agents uh, to be there because keep in mind these are these are arrests where these people are detained and they're detained in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So, so, so these these aren't people these aren't people who are uh, at the border. And there's some guy going, hey, you're under arrest, and then, and then push them back over the border. Mm-hmm. These are people who are arrested at, around the border, whatever, and, and then once you're in the United States and the authorities arrest you, 
you're here yeah. and you're going through Process, the yeah. process mm-hmm. of deportation and all that kind of stuff. So in the end, it's better to go ahead and just and just get people uh, to, to just get people there when before they come across, because mm-hmm. then it doesn't become a big deal. You know? Yeah. Jim Talent needs about five more minutes on here. So here, I'll give you his number. Um, yeah, that Skype thing. I am. I'm you know on. what I'm talking about? I'm on. You kind of looked at me like I was. Um, I'm a little scared of Skype. Asking you to. I'm a little scared of Skype. Drink but cow directly it. from a milk's man. <laughs> cow's man. I'm not going to do milk that from again. Cow's <laughs> you said mammary. I don't think you really digital radio. I think you can, but generally. No, I'm going to go with mammary glands. I always like that. Said, I've mm-hmm. never said mammary on commercial okay. radio. I try to. I try to be a little careful. Sorry, the show earlier. Uh, by the way, nice to see uh, Jason Stockley. Uh, is suing uh, the former prosecutor who charged with murder and an internal affairs detective helped build the case against him. Good for Jason Stockley doing that. And also in other news earlier, we talked about this earlier. If you're just joining us now, uh, I want you to, uh, in, in future times, pay attention to the campaign coffers of the list of lawmakers who are the ones overseeing the committee, overseeing the investigation of Governor Greitens because they have dropped their subpoenas and their requests for records related to this nonprofit called A New Missouri. And so these are the folks who are deliberating on whether to recommend Greitens be impeached. And remember, every time you asked about why these guys were going after Governor Greitens, you were like, why are you, is this like a witch hunt? No, it's not a witch hunt at all, my friend. This is about dark money because dark money is horrible, terrible, it's unfair, it's mean to the citizens of Missouri, and we are rightfully attacking Governor Greitens for this dark money thing. Mm-hmm. Scott Fawn, convicted felon, check forger, you know, that kind of guy who now is actually has his own TV show and is like the mayor of the hallways of the state capitol. Scott Fawn. Uh, why are you, are you, what is this about? Why are you of all people questioning governor Greitens who so far has not been convicted of a crime like you have or uh, any crime at all like you have. And you ask him, he's like, because dark money is horrible and we must end the scourge of dark money. I don't care what he does in his private life. It's not about him. It's not about the hairdresser. It's not about the, him trying to limit our uh, tax incentives and, 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 and all these uh, tax credits and that kind of thing. It's about dark money. We've been told for six months that this is all about dark money. So now we got a committee that has the most power to investigate dark money, and they decided, you know what? We're not so interested in the dark money anymore. Yeah. And you're like, why is that? I have a couple theories. One is that some of the people who gave money to Eric Greitens uh, have now decided, you know what, if you, don't, if you stop this and, we, and, and don't expose us, there might be a little bit of it left over for you. And it won't be dark. We'll give it to, to you legal, you know, whatever, uh, over the table. Yeah. But, but, and I compared it earlier to the police officer, the Eric police officer, who goes into the evidence locker and snorts the cocaine that's been seized. 
these guys on this committee keep an eye on their campaigns and see whether or not there's a trend of some of the same people contributing money to their campaigns. Because if you're on the committee and you're saying, well, let's see, the governor's resigned and this was all about dark money, but maybe if there's some let money kind of sitting there that we can maybe take a couple grand off of, then we'll be glad to keep all of you protected. Now, that's a cynical, dastardly thing to think. But why else would lawmakers who told us all along, they held news conferences, they wanted the governor to resign because it was all about, because dark money's terrible. We have the Post-Dispatch, which, oh. you know, obsessed over dark money. Tony Messenger and these guys obsessing over dark money. And now suddenly they're not so interested in dark money. Nope. That's pretty weird. That's, that's not cynical. I think you're onto something. And I think your investigative reporting years serve you well here. Are you following up on that, that list? So, so the list is not going to be released. That's the bottom line. We're not no. going to see the list. And we don't know who's really on that list right. of donors. We, we pretty, we're pretty sure they're national. We're pretty sure that some of them are tied to the White House. Eric Greitens made many trips uh, to there, especially with Governor or uh, Vice President Pence. And so there's some of that involved. But here's the deal. To suddenly drop a subpoena for access, now I want to know. Yeah. Like before, I thought it was just a witch hunt. But yeah. now that you made it so important... And you're the one that told us it was such a big deal. Yeah. Now you got my interest up, and now suddenly once you get my interest up, you're going to sit there and abandon your efforts to enlighten me to the corruptness of dark money. Yeah. Go ahead and pop Jim on the line there. I think he's – I think I'm, he's. are you okay with that? Is that working? I'm going to push it. The Skype. A submarine. Yeah, or like, or like when you did AOL, you push it in, you know. Hello. Hey, Jim. How you doing, buddy? It's Jamie. Hey, Jamie. I'm fine. How are you, man? You have time now. I do. Oh, good. Okay. I do. I didn't know how long this breakfast would run, and um, I've got to go to a briefing in a while, but I've got a window now. Wow. So what was what was the breakfast? What'd you what'd you have? It was with it was with Senator Tim Scott and uh, you know, the subject was new market tax credits, which was part of a bill of mine in the year two thousand. So it's a um it's uh it's a tax credit that's available uh in order to help get jobs and other features of healthy near, uh, neighborhoods into neighborhoods that aren't healthy. Okay, so you know, I was a big empowerment guy uh, in when in the House in the 1990s, in particular. I had a whole agenda of things that we did. Welfare reform was really part of that, but the idea was this was the other half of welfare reform, which was to empower community groups to you know, get things in their neighborhoods that good neighborhoods have, like community policing, uh, you know, good schools. It was a we did school choice. Features oh, wow. to that. So, yeah, I love yeah. that idea because, you know, we, now that we, I think we've handled some of the elements of the macro as it relates to the economy with unemployment mm-hmm. and lows, and, and then with, with um, the GDP predicted to be uh, nicely high. I love, I like this idea of focusing on more 
a micro and 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 digging into some of these communities that uh, basically have been left out of being stakeholders in the economy, in the community, in the cities, as it relates to education, all that kind of stuff. So I think that's a good idea. Yeah, and this is a bit of a fault line within the, if I want to call it, you, you, know, you pick the name, but the right of center coalition, okay? The conservative movement, I would have called it in those days, because um, th- there are many people who are inherently suspicious of using tax credits for that, and they can be, you know, abused. Or sometimes, if the program's not structured right, it ends up, you know, not working. Uh, this is an area where my wife's organization, the Shelby Institute, and I have some disagreements because I am a believer that, as an anti-poverty measure. Uh, these, these ideas are intriguing. Now they have to be structured properly and handled properly. And this one was the regulations that the Bush administration came up with. And I was in the Senate at the time worked. I mean, this is the argument that I make and they're much, it's a much, much less expensive. In fact, say my argument would be done properly. It returns revenue because, you know, you at, you are creating jobs and economic activity in neighborhoods where there were where there was none, right? So um, that's that's my belief, and Tim Scott is of that view also. And these things tend to go they tend to go in cycles within our part of the political spectrum, Jamie. Uh, and I was always pretty consistently an empowerment guy, which isn't to say that every idea you're going to try is going to work. Uh, but that's true for the, you know, for any set of policies, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, and these don't, they just don't cost that much. I mean, uh, in terms of the overall federal budget, it's not like, you know, trying some gigantic new entitlement program. Well, if that doesn't work, you know, you've really wasted an enormous amount of money. That's not the case here. But I was, you know, that's part of the, that's a part of the landscape where I was always pretty prominent when I was in the Congress. Yeah, I, you know, I was just about to say, I, I had the pleasure of hanging out last night with uh, Dave Spence and his wife, Susie. And uh, Dave, who I think was a little bit ahead of his time when it re- as it relates to the governorship, I think he would have been perfect in 2016, uh, but ran in 2012 uh, and, and lost that election. But a great guy. And I'm not quite sure how familiar you are with with Dave, but um, he has. This, oh, yeah, I know Dave pretty well. Well, as as Republicans go, you and Dave have a lot of similarities in the in that when you were running and even when you ran for the U.S. Senate, uh, you did very well in urban areas where other Republicans had not done very well. And part of that reason is because you were focused on things that you're just talking about right now. Some of these things about developing and helping, and not not handing out, but helping develop inner city neighborhoods and other elements. And so you you actually were a visible part because some Republicans before that they just would ignore St. Louis or Kansas City or whatever, and would would try to look at the outer reaches of the state. Um, and Dave and I had a conversation last night just about the the problem. He and Susie have done a lot in terms of helping the working poor and, and reaching out into inner cities. And, and I think that's a really, that's a really good thing. I think that's the next step for conservatives is to, is to find a way to, to zero in 
on these small on these communities and start to uh, not only evangelize on behalf of strong economic ideals, but also to actually make it possible for us to execute uh, and, and create mm-hmm. more stakeholders in the economy in these inner cities. You know, uh, complete a sentence for me, Jamie, and I, don't, I know we're I have no idea what you had in mind for this interview, but I suspect we're going in a different direction, which is fine with me. But complete this sentence for me. William F. Buckley Jr. said one time, conservatism is the politics of, and then one word. So what do you think it was? Conservatism is the politics of? Compassion? And he said, no. Okay. He said, reality. Ah, Okay. Yes. So if we're asking ourselves what will work to achieve a a particular public policy goal, assuming the public policy goal is a reasonable one, right? (laughs) Then we are asking an essentially conservative question. Uh, And this is what I always ask. uh, uh, And it is a role of government to, to fight poverty, in my opinion. Um, Now, what a lot of people believe, and I believe this too, but I don't believe it to the same degree, is the whole rising tide lifts all boats. I fully believe that. I would have voted for the tax bill, okay? And a rising tide right now is lifting all boats and probably lifts all boats more than more targeted programs to do that, right. okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, do, I, I just became convinced after really studying this issue a long time, studying it from a scholarly point of view and then traveling around the country with J.C. Watts and Floyd Flake, a, a Republican and a Democratic congressman, and talking to the groups that were actually succeeding in, these, in helping these neighborhoods and helping people. And certain aspects of common aspects of their efforts emerged. One of them is that, that it is community-based organizations that grow organically over time in these neighborhoods that are successful. And so what I thought was what we need to do is to figure out how to structure policy so as to empower these organizations. Now, it's, this was, this was um, Bush's politics of conservative compassion. You mentioned the compassion work. Now, that's hard. Okay, it is because the government tends to work through bureaucracies and bureaucracies are not good at empowering private, you know, community based organizations. But you can do it if you're careful about it. Uh, And this is the point I've been making up here. And the right way to judge these programs, this is where some people in the movement go wrong, to judge them as national economic development programs, they're going to fail. Okay, but if you judge them against other anti-poverty measures then they are tend to be much more successful. And that's how, that's the standard. I mean, I went into the Heritage Foundation and talking about this. So just, it's fine if you want to be opposed to this, but judge it by the right standard. It was not an attempt to elevate national GDP. Mm-hmm. It was an attempt to bring the benefits of a free market system of capitalism, if you will, as we normally think of it, to neighborhoods where it doesn't exist now. And there's a lot of problems you know, a chief one, for example, is 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 policing or safety. If you don't have a certain degree of safety and security in a neighborhood, it doesn't matter what else you do. And right. This is the problem they're experiencing in Baltimore right now and places like that, which is why this war on cops is so terrible and so destructive of the people that they claim to be helping with it. 
Okay. I can't do anything for a neighborhood if the streets are unsafe beyond a certain point. Okay. Right. And so you can't, you can't get any small business development. You can't get good schools. You, you, you can't get anything. if People are afraid they're going to get killed when they go out. So right. we could go on and on about this, but yeah, so that was the breakfast. And then the briefing I have coming up is on, uh, is with the China Commission. It's on. Uh, All right. Well, uh, can I can, let me yeah, go back? So. Let me go back to what 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 your that one issue because because I think that's in, in, interesting because I'm going to take it just a little bit further with you because when I said uh, compassion, uh, I think oftentimes compassion has been confused with like government giveaways or government this government that, but I've always believed that compassion or conservative compassion, whatever you want to call it is in i believe that economic development uh is 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 a compassionate policy uh, and i'm not saying a welfare check is i'm saying economic development so when you it's it's the the teaching the man to fish so to speak and i do believe actually that that economic growth also creates safer environments because as we've seen even with countries, and, and, and stay with me here, like countries that have become more secularized, there you have more uh, radical Muslims moving in because there's a weak spot there. When, there. when there are not weak economic spots, people who are criminals don't move in there. You don't, you don't have the broken glass, so to speak, uh, situation that, that, that we see in so many areas right. because crime follows the broken glass. Now, let me, let me say this, though. So – to me, for instance, what the president is doing, like, like when he talks about community banks, the president isn't saying the government needs to put together a WPA project and build a community bank. What he's saying is we need to deregulate, draw back certain aspects of our banking policies that have prevented smaller banks from thriving. And we went through the whole Dodd-Frank thing and all that kind of thing and uh, Sarbanes-Oxley, all those kind of things that were basically just simply suffocating people who otherwise could not afford to have a separate unit solely designed to do the paperwork. And so we had even the banks that were too big to fail, but the, the banks that were too small to survive. And so what I mean is this kind of compassion is through the government not giving, but uh, but reducing itself and reducing its role oh, in everyday absolutely. life. Well, absolutely. And when the gov- one of the things with, with this kind of an empowerment program that we encountered over and over again is these community groups telling us that a huge part of the problem they have to deal with is government regulations or the government being overly prescriptive in what they were supposed to do. And it's everything from Okay, the community-based substance abuse program that doesn't have access to the the funding for this because they don't have enough PhDs. Okay, they're extremely effective, but they don't have PhDs. They have people who used to be on drugs themselves who know what it takes to get off and and know how to get people off. Um, so, for these programs to be effective. Both sides have to have to think their way through some initial discomfort that they have. Another issue uh, that I always have for my friends on the left is that many of these successful community organizations are religious based, Jamie. 
Okay. It's people who have a vocation. That's the reason Mm -hmm. they're willing to go into these communities and spend so much of their time and their effort. Okay. So what that means is yes, the government, if it's going to be effective, needs to empower these organizations and, and, and some of them have crosses on the walls and that's the reason they're doing it. Okay. And you got to learn if you want to help people, if that's more important, I mean, I'll, I'll get, I'll go down a, I'll, I'll digress a little bit here. Uh, uh, when I get on subjects like this, I, I tend to get into multiple yeah. digressions. So one yeah. of the things I say is that, look, one of the reasons we're not more effective in helping people is because people don't care enough here in Washington in the sense that they're not willing to challenge some of their preconceived biases in order to help people. They could snap their fingers and help people. They would. But if it means uh, challenging some of your biases about what the separation of church and state really means, you know, if it means, uh, you know, going into, if you're on your Republican, going into the club for growth and saying, well, you know, the straight libertarian approach may not work as well for these neighborhoods. They don't want to do that. So that's what we did. Um, JC and Floyd and I, we said to people, uh, you got to challenge some of your biases. We we ran the only, I think, comprehensive school choice program that ever reached the floor of either body, and uh, it lost. And Floyd was the only Democrat who voted for it. it took an awful lot of guts. Uh, and you can argue that, that we shouldn't do that from the federal level. And I get that argument, okay? Because now you have a federalism issue. Yeah. But we wanted uh, we wanted to raise the point because I believe from an education standpoint. That, that choice in education, charter schools, et cetera, is clearly the way to help a big layer of these kids. We're not probably going to help all of them with that, but we're going to help a lot. And so the question, if you ask yourself as a practical matter, which is what compassion is, Jamie, yeah. it's, you know, it's what practically happens on the other side to actually help people. Um, so, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, well, and, and you're right now, that's not a high... It's not at a high point in Washington. This yeah. uh, the empowerment agenda. So why do why do Democrats? When you since you brought up school choice, uh, why do Democrats who love to talk about being pro-choice? Why do Democrats fight school choice? I think some of it is ideo- is ideological. In other words, they 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 believe in a, the model, the existing model of public education, which is clearly failing a whole lot of kids in a whole lot of particularly poor neighborhoods. Again, although to be fair, there are a lot of extra challenges there that the school system has to try and overcome. It's not all a problem with the schools, is it? Yeah. Um, it's those families often have a lot of challenges, makes it harder to educate their kids. I think part of it is ideological and part of it's political. Yeah. They have powerful special interest groups on the left who don't like it. And, you know, we can, I mean, I get that. I don't, I don't work up as much moral indignation over that as many people do, because I understand that you have to maneuver effectively within people's political imperatives. As I put it, I know that sounds very, you know, very professorial in a sense, but you want something to work in Washington, you have to, to some degree, align it with, with political, you know, realities. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, 
if you're going to be effective, if you're actually going to change things over time. And it's a movement that is accomplishing a lot and is expanding in a lot of in a lot of areas, but not as quickly as it needs to. When you go to your briefing, and I'll let you go here because I know you got to get to it. But when you go, yeah, to your... it's on. It's a very different subject on civil military fusion in China. Okay, so in China, a whole lot of what purports to be civilian actually supports their military complex. But so when you when when you go to a, a briefing for the China Commission, do they talk to you in Chinese or is it? Uh, <laughs> no, a lot of people there can speak and write in Mandarin. They're real experts, but. <laughs> No. no. Okay, I just wanted to... I, wouldn't be much benefit to me if they did. Doesn't seem very thorough to me to, to not speak to you in Chinese, but it's okay. I'm sure that it's going to be a decent briefing. I'm just kidding. Buddy. Well, right. it's, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I'm just an old <laughs> Midwestern son of a farm girl. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't speak different languages. I speak English. That's, yeah, I know. that's it. And not, I, I struggle with that sometimes. Yeah, I, I get it. All right, buddy. Well, listen, thanks for taking the time out. I know you're busy, and I hope you have a great weekend. If you happen to be in St. Louis over the weekend, don't forget, I've got the big uh, warrior and wild man throwdown palooza going on at Discovery Design uh, right there, you know, Rick Pogue's place uh, in St. Peter's. So we're going to have a barbecue 12 to 6. It's going to be fun. So stop on by. Love to see you, my friend. What are you barbecuing? Well, we've got actually Q in the Lou. It's a it's a uh, barbecue truck coming out and Kona Ice. Oh, okay, and, great. And, and and we've got I think the governor's going to pop by. We got a few other people coming over, and we're going to have music. And it's just kind of be just and and Doug Giles is going to be there from ClashDaily dot com, uh, signing books. And so it's just going to be kind of like a radio free almond event. It's going to be good. So if you if you if you have time, uh, pop on by, my friend. People would love to see you. Thanks for inviting me, Jamie. All right, friend. Let's do this again soon. Okay, sounds good. That's uh, Jim Talent. Bye bye. Yeah, see ya. Yeah, so they, they do the it's, go go big or stay home. Talk to them in Chinese. The Chinese China Commission. That's what I would do. Mandarin. I don't even know Chinese, and I talk in Chinese. If I had China Commission. So uh, wrapping things up here, uh, you see the story about Melania Trump. So they attended the Federal Emergency Management Agency meeting on hurricane preparedness. And Breitbart, although this wasn't designed to be a criticism, so I'm, I'm glad it wasn't, because normally what will happen is, remember when, when Melania visited, the, she was seen walking to Air Force One or walking to Marine One in heels. Yes. Remember that? Oh, yes. And they trolled her for wearing heels to this... Mm-hmm. When they, then she popped off the plane in basically tennis shoes or whatever they were. Right. And so it shamed these people who were saying, oh, she's going to Hurricane Ravage Houston in heels. $2,000 or $800 yeah. shoes or something. Yeah. That was- then she pops off the plane in tennis shoes. And it's like, oh, never mind. <laughs> Reeboks, never mind. So I was a little surprised that Breitbart did this story about how she arrived in uh, in for this preparedness meeting wearing a, um, I guess it's called a Celine camel-toned French coat. I'm sorry, trench coat. (laughs) That featured a circle skirt and cinched belted waist. The trench coat was paired with Jimmy Choo python stilettos. A pair of heels Mrs. Trump has worn with other ensembles in the past. Mrs. Trump's sculptural 
coat was reminiscent of a burgundy Del Pozo coat she wore last year while visiting South Korea. Now, that's Breitbart. Yeah, it's Breitbart. But now, now again, they're not mocking her because you're seeing pictures of her, and of course, she's stunningly beautiful as always. Mm-hmm. But I like the fact that that she it wasn't. And first of all, she already had this in her closet. You know that. So it wasn't like she went out and bought it for the emergency preparedness meeting. What to wear? What but to so, wear? so this is stuff she right. already has, right. and she right. just wears this stuff, and, and she wears it uh, without any kind of apology whatsoever because that's, what she, that's how she looks. Every time she's out, she looks absolutely top shelf. That's what... That's the kind of woman that she is. And, and well, well, let's put it this way. There are lots of women who would be top shelf uh, if they had her clothes. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I'm not just saying that, that she's top shelf and other people are not top shelf. No. Like if you're not wearing the Jimmy Choo, Jimmy Choo <laughs> Python stilettos today, ladies, that doesn't mean you're not top shelf. Right. What I'm saying is that she... Goes out, and, and you'd think after all the criticism of her that she would dial things back, but that's why she and President Trump are probably a married couple because they both are have this perpetual bite me oh. sign on their foreheads right. wherever they go. Right. And so, Melania, yeah, I'm this is exactly what I'm going to wear to the hurricane preparedness meeting. Why wouldn't I? Like what am I? What is she supposed to wear to a hurricane preparedness meeting? You know, t-shirt and jeans. Jeans, right? She could always borrow her some jeans from Obama. Oh yeah, because he wore those pretty well. I His did. mom jeans, he oh, liked those. Yeah. Ride a bike with a helmet, <laughs> right? Yeah, but no, I so I like that attitude of hers where she's basically just you know, uh, rocking it. Yeah, she rocks. <laughs> Like, we're rocking it from the Discovery Design Studios here in beautiful The Hill. And I got to tell you, uh, Discovery Design is going to be in all of its full glory tomorrow. I I keep saying tomorrow. It's Saturday for uh, the Warrior of the Wild Man, Radio Free Almond, Throwdown Palooza, where we're going to have music. Thanks to Phil. We're going to have Q in the Lou, Kona Ice, the Naputi Pediatrics kids area where now apparently there's a slide now too there's gonna be like one of those uh, you know slides you put the little burlap thing on <laughs> yeah slide down the that's slide what, that's what i'm hearing <clears throat> that's gonna be there they're gonna have a bounce house yep. face painting balloon sculptures that kind of thing uh i think uh, ben murphy's still gonna bring it be out with his mister in the waters yep. so if you're if you have any issue with that uh, I am meeting with Billy Bush today to hook up with the boatload of Kreftig beer that he is sending our way. We're going to wristband that because we kind of have to. So you're going to get a wristband and you can drink the beer. Uh, so we're going to take care of that business there. Uh, what else are we going to have? Oh, we're gonna, Doug Giles is going to be there, of course, the, the day after the big book signing at the Missouri Athletic Club West, which is taking place 538 on Friday. And we had a question earlier about dress code at the Missouri Athletic Club West. There is none. I mean, within reason, obviously. Uh, so, uh, you, the, but but somebody's like, "Do I have to wear a sport jacket?" It's like, no. This is not. This is that's not 
the place. Downtown is a little different in terms of their standards there, but uh, but at the Missouri Club West, it's more of a family place, and there are kids running around, and it's and and so it's it's going to be great, and we're going to have a little area there where Doug Jowes is going to be uh, selling his books. Uh, he has he, to leave early. Uh, he has to leave before the end of the event. So if you want to sign Saturday, right on Saturday, but, but Friday night for the book event, oh, sorry, he's, he's there. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. so five thirty to eight. And and he'll be there signing books. And he's got pussification. He's got I still I still find it funny because you know the books came to my house, and uh, the, a box came, and the and the kids didn't know what was in the box, mm. and so they were curious. So they opened the box. Oh, um, hmm. I, I normally let me I, guess which I'm, book was on I'm top. Not, I'm not a stickler for right. whether people open my mail, and I don't even know right. it was addressed to me particularly. But this is the box that arrived, and um, there I get two boxes. But the first one to arrive was full. Uh, I, he has three books: Doug Giles, Rules for Radical Christians, Raising Righteous and Rowdy Girls, and a book called Pussification. Now the first box comes. The kids. 13, 10, and 8. And I believe it actually was just the girls. I can't, I can't remember what Henry told me, but uh, they opened the box. Now, there were three books that possibly could have been, or there were one of three different kinds of books that could have been there when they opened the box. What book do you think was there when the kids opened the box? Rules for Radical Christians. Raising Righteous and Rowdy Girls, or in big, fat, red letters, Pussification. I'm going to go with C, Pussification. Right on. A whole box of them. A whole box of them. Nice. So you didn't just see one Pussification. <laughs> no. You saw, well, it was a box, and you had the, the certain stacks, so you had probably uh, 10 different ver- ten different. Pussification thing. I've never seen the cover. That's really cool. It's pretty funny, though. That's it's pretty awesome. Some dude taking a, the cover like a, pretty epic. Some hipster <laughs> taking a selfie. Yeah, I can't wait to meet Doug. I've never he's, met him. He's a good guy, yeah. and he's he's going to be a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. And I'm picking him up, or will me and uh, Johnny Rose, who is a great uh, driver. He's he's going to be the driver for the weekend. I'm going to get Johnny Rose in here tomorrow. He's got some stories to tell about picking up celebrities and stuff like that. Aww. Yeah. In fact, he was the guy when he was in uh, he was in Ferguson. You know, all these, you know, media stars who flew in to kind of do their live shots behind fences so they yeah. wouldn't get rocked. Right. Um, he'd, he would pick them from up the airport. It's like Van Jones and all these people. He'd pick them up at the airport and be oh, driver. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah I'd like so to hear this. Story, so. yeah. he's, he's done a lot of that kind of stuff. So we'll have Johnny Rose in tomorrow. I think uh, Henry Davis is going to come in, too. I'm going to get Henry Davis out there at the event uh, t- uh, Saturday. I like Henry Davis a yeah, lot. He's good. I think he's a very interesting guy. Going to give Henry his own show on the Radio Free Alma I Network. Think that's a great idea. He's an interesting guy. I know he's he's uh, he's got his thing where he's you know, but but I find him actually an interesting guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're going to have uh, we're we're slowly but surely growing the Radio Free Alma Network. Uh, I even talked to uh, Dave Spence last night and his wife Susie, and Dave is a great guy. Susie's. Very entertaining, but very both of them very committed to uh, a lot of really good 
solid common sense issues. And so we're working, going to work them possibly into the Radio Free Almond Network and the common sense nation approach that we take to issues. Uh, and so we cover, we had, we take all covers because Mark Cation, we're now developing uh, a show that he's going to have on the network. I know a lot of you find him left wing and annoying, but he's my left wing and annoying friend. So that's how we work out, work that thing out. We're going to have him on there uh, and we're going to have Angia Valenti and Suzanne Venker. We're working on a show with both of them. And if you can imagine, they're kind of like the female versions of Doug Giles. So that's going to be a great show. Attitude, absolutely. And, 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 but but it's but it's but it's good, the good kind. It's 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 the kind. It's 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 the uh, comments on culture and beyond, which they're both very good at. And G was on earlier. Suzanne's going to be on with me next week, and then uh, there'll be a regular part of the Radio Free Allman show in the morning, six to nine. Uh, but then we'll work on that. Henry Davis. So gradually we're growing the network. I'm, I'm trying to get Jimmy Hoff, uh, the Gateway Pundit, to have something on with us as well. I'm working with somebody now. Uh, I, I don't know whether I can talk to her or not, about it or not. But she is um, – and her partner, they're, they're East Coast radio hosts, and I might have them piped in. Uh, desperately wanting to get Michael Savage back on the St. Louis Airwaves. So trying to work on a possibility of trying to weed him into the uh, into this. And uh, have you heard of an outfit called Barstool Sports? No. Of course, you didn't even know who Red Shanies was. So why am I asking you about Barstool Sports? Well played. Matt, have you heard about Barstool Sports? You like it? Oh, yeah. JB? Oh, they all okay. know. Yeah, everybody so, knows except Phil. Well, they, they, they're the uh, – Dave Spence, actually, his um, – Kid is involved in 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 barstool sports, and would would love to have them have a segment on Radio Free Almond as well. They do podcasting and that kind of thing. They're they're kind of like the the more preferable version uh, of CNN. I mean of, of ESPN to ESPN. Okay, yeah, wow. I mean, people I'll check it out. They're kind of like you know, ESPN is kind of like dinosaur sports when compared to barstool sports. So we're working on them too. So we got a lot, lot of, uh, lot of things going on with the Radio Free Alma Network. And as always, I forget to get my theme up right here. This is hold on, yo, Zoom. What y'all doing? Hold on. We'll get this thing up there. We'll get this theme on. What? Uh, I'm gonna get this theme on. Show you the theme. Hold on, Sam. Get the David Byrne on him. We'll see with the talking heads. Yeah. For a minute. For a minute, we were talking his. I do something to rock. Do this, don't fess me in stuff. Do that for you. Play this song. It's my theme. There we go. Don't be fencing me in, though. Yo. All right, Phil Valencia. Yes, sir. Ryan's going to be in tomorrow, uh, and, and uh, you're going to do whatever you're doing. I'm going to do some things. You're going to catalog some music for us for Saturday. Uh, get in the country music section filled up. <laughs> you better. Man, you can, listen, we're going to be out in God's country, man. you gotta, you got to rock some of that country. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting good suggestions. People are suggesting some really good stuff. So I'm going to do my best. Slipping some Alabama in there, are you? 
Yeah, man. Look at me like that. Sorry. How about uh, these guys? Um, the brothers. I forgot the name of it. They're, they're damn good. Let me suggest those guys. Ever? Huh? Your country? Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna figure it all out. I'm gonna have a nice set of country music to add to the set of non-country music. Yeah. Get some uh, Hank Don Ho Williams Jr. in there. Yeah, Don Ho. Don Ho. You, you, you know what you ought to do is you you should um, see if you can look up an album called Don Ho's Country Jamboree. <laughs> Find that. All right, buddy. Hey, right. thanks a ton, everybody. RadioFreeAlmond.com is where you're going to get all the info, plus our public Facebook page for all the info about this weekend's festivities. Have a good one.